and welcome to DOS Game Club episode 45. We've been playing Frederick Pohl's Gateway in June, I think, Florian? It was June, yes. So, yeah, we've, I think we've officially caught up now. Yes, we have, actually. I, I mean, we will have caught up if we get this podcast out in the next two weeks. Uh, yeah, well, well, we'll definitely try to make that happen. Um, so, yeah, Frederick Paul's Gateway is the game that we're going to discuss. And, of course, I'm not going to talk about that game all by myself, um, because you heard him already. Um, along with me, as always, is uh, our trusty co-host, Florian. Hello again. Hello. I hope you're doing okay. Well, I think I do. Okay, that's that's cool. Uh, yeah, thanks for, for being here again. There's more people. Joining once again is uh, DOS Game Club member regular uh, Esco. Hello, back for yet another space opera. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Also known as Firefight on the forums, of course. And also joining again, it's Richard. Hello. Hey known as Pix on the forums. Yeah, yeah, that's me. <laughs> cool that you're back, Rich. We've also got a new member on, actually. Uh, it's uh, known on the forums as Shattered. It's John. Hello, hello. Hey. Happy to be here. Super nice that you wanted to join us for this one. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited about this game. I don't know about you guys, but... I am. I, <laughs> yeah, this was a pretty cool game, wasn't it? So. Unexpectedly, actually. I didn't expect it to be that much fun, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Hmm, yeah. So, uh, well, actually, yeah. I mean, let's not, but also let's dive into the game, right? I mean, yeah. Why wait? should we do first should we do a quick explanation of the game because i don't think people might be familiar with frederick paul's gateway i i think we definitely need an explanation of the game yeah i think that's a good idea do you have do, do you have um something in mind esco like could you explain this in a summarized way basically gateway is a newer kind of parser based text adventure game so it uh, it is still has a little interface where you type in your commands, but there's also a nice little window that has graphics on what's going on in the scene around you, as well as a verb list of of what to do and an object object list of of what what can be found in the room, what you can interact with. But the basic uh, idea of of the game is is that it's based on this Hichi and Gateway novel series by Frederick Pohl who is a, a, a well-known uh, sci-fi author. And uh, these uh, game, yeah, there's this game and, and then the sequel are, are based on that universe a bit maybe lightly, but... Uh, Quite lightly. <laughs> we'd, you'll expect to have a, uh, 
some spoilers about the story as well as the gameplay um, yeah. during this podcast. So yeah. uh, if if you want to uh, play this game uh, uh, just with our recommendation now, you could probably skip ahead to the end of the podcast <laughs> and see if we uh, like this yeah. game or not. Uh-huh. And then uh, yeah. come back and listen to the podcast. But if you're otherwise interested, then just uh, uh, listen on, and we'll continue with uh, the story and and uh, how we felt about this yeah. game. I, I think this episode will be entirely spoilers. Oh yeah, it's it's really hard to avoid them um, with a story based game, isn't it? I mean, how can you talk about the story without, yeah, spoiling the story? Because exactly, yeah. So that's just how it is. So if you still want to play the game unspoiled, then quit the podcast now and return after you finished it. Last yeah. chance. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I did with Monkey Island, and I'm really glad I did that. Really? Yeah, yeah. You guys gave a little spoiler warning. Did I also give a spoiler warning and the mon- mon- Monkey Island one as well? I mean, sort of like, <laughs> here lies demons, don't go any further. <laughs> but did you, did you actually stop and, and then play the game first, John? Yeah, I stopped it, um, went and played it, and uh, came back, listened to the episode, and yeah, it was yeah, it was a great experience. Oh, that's awesome! Well, yeah. well, uh, listen to that, Desco. Your tips actually work. <laughs> really cool. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's basically the game in a nutshell. It's like a hybrid, right? It's like a text adventure, but it's also sort of a point and click sort of thing well you you can play it as a point and click partly but actually i don't think that makes a lot of sense for the game but we can mm. discuss that later yeah. i guess when we're going into the details usually we, we just talk about who suggests the game and if we knew about it before at that point yeah Shall we do that um i i think it started when when florian and i were talking about what game to do next and i think it was you florian who um, noticed that we had never done a text adventure in the entire history of the club. Uh-huh. So that was clearly a problem that needed solving. No text adventure in three years. That's like a massive problem we had there. Yeah, exactly. Even uh, especially since text adventures are sort of a, a staple of DOS, I would say, or at least, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's um, it's a very roots kind of genre. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. So... One of the big genres of the beginning of the uh, gaming era, really. Mm. So wasn't even wasn't even um, I think it's called uh, Colossal Cave or Adventure. Yeah, uh, wasn't that really one of the first games that actually was playable and was somewhat fun to play? Yeah, that's a 1970s so. uh, adventure game, text adventure game, and I think that's actually the reason why we call these games adventure games hmm. because that game was called just adventure and later it i think it was renamed to colossal cave adventure but yeah i think i think that was the reason that we call these games adventures now um so yeah it seemed important to have one of these games on <laughs> absolutely especially since since there's this this whole evolution from text adventure to point and click to all those um more modern kinds of, of adventure games that we have hmm. That's really a, a long progression, and I, I think you cannot really understand uh, the sequence without going back to the start. Yeah, although then again, this game is not it's really not the, the start. start. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's it's the player friendly part of the start. Yeah, of the genre. 
Could you say it's a gateway between text oh, adventures yeah. and, and graphical oh, ones? That's beautiful. We're <laughs> getting very meta here. Oh, that's beautiful. So, yeah, I don't know why we landed on gateway specifically. I know I played it before, and it's it's really one of the few text adventures that I've actually completed. Um, so It is by now the only text adventure that I, that I have ever completed. Well, that's... That's kind of cool, isn't it? It is, yes. So I, I, as I recall, the story is that you just suggested the game you said, hey, here, this is a great one. Mm. And at first I, w- I was a bit skeptical about it with, because of all the graphics and stuff, but it turned out that that was one of the biggest advan- um, advantages of the game. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I just recommended it because I don't know a lot of others. Uh, this is really just one of the few ones that I've played. Yeah, so. there's... There's there's the obvious choices like Zork mm. and stuff like that, but those were not originally for DOS. So, no, they they were released for DOS. I think uh-huh. I think all the Infocom games were eventually, but yeah, no, this is just one I knew and I knew was good, so it seemed like a good candidate. Yeah. So, has anyone else besides you played the game before? Silence. <laughs> <laughs> no. Take that as a no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think this is a very well-known game to be honest. So, I I don't yeah, a, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if nobody played it. It has a few disadvantages. Um like it's really a late game for a text adventure and yeah. Yeah, the the era was coming to an end, so yeah. Yeah. I guess it makes sense that that the game is not very well known despite it being really good mm. actually. So, no, I guess everyone's new to the game then. Um who has uh, any experience with text adventures other than Gateway? Well, um, my first game that I probably ever played, probably after something that was uh, like uh, Space Invaders on a CP slash M, was Colossal oh. K. Huh. Wow. So that was over 30 years ago uh, that, that actually we had, uh, I think, three games. One was Colossal Cave, one was sort of a Space Invaders clone, and I don't remember the third one, but, <laughs> Must have been but a great game. yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely had um, uh, a lot of experience, sort of with text adventures. Played a bit of Zork, played a bit of uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but then I played uh, online multi-user dungeons for probably a good part of six, seven years. So, okay. if that could be counted as text mm. adventures, maybe, but not quite. Mm. Is it any good? I was just interested in in the Colossal Cave adventure because I've never played it and I've read about it on Wikipedia because it's a notable game. So I I, I went back actually because of this month. I went back and and pulled out a walkthrough and uh, uh, actually sort of played it through to figure out uh, you know what the game is all about, how complex it is, and and how to play it through. It's not that good. <laughs> oh. Ultimately, I'd say is that if you were sitting down, given the time, doing everything carefully, whatever else, optimizing how you do stuff and and go about things, it's probably a good 20 to 40 hour game. Because it's it has some randomness in it as well, but it's it's does not really stand up as a adventure game because okay, you get there's an angry dwarf that throws an axe at you and hits you and then you die and then you restart. Right. 
because uh, not all of these had save features. Oh, yeah. I guess I guess it's allowed for this game to be a little old school <laughs> since it's literally the first <laughs> adventure game. So yeah, we yeah, yeah. I oh, back back in the day, I remember my dad made a map mm. of the maze of twisty little mm. passages all looking alike, and uh, to get uh, because if your lamp runs out in Colossal Cave, you die right again. So so there's a lot of. A lot of things, and but I played it with like a, a, a command by command mm. walkthrough with a few suggestions and, and things right. to to combat the RNG and stuff. But in general, I'd say it's it's rewarding to get to the end. But uh, I'm not even sure. Do you want to spend that time during the modern mm. era because there's no real story behind mm. it? Right. Okay. I mean, in comparison to much later games like Zork and and uh, uh, even. Gateway, or I'm not sure about the spellcasting series, which is sort of a thing that came before Gateway, is, is is that do you want to spend that amount of time to basically just say that you played through the game? Mm. Yeah. Well, I guess there's some... In comparison yeah, to some... spending that amount of time and saying that you got a great story out of it. Mm. Got a good experience. Yeah, exactly. So... Um, Richard, I'm guessing you have played text adventures, or maybe not. I'm not. I'm not sure. Yeah. Actually, yeah, no, I played a few back in the day. I think I think I had a go at Colossal Adventure. I don't think I knew what to do at the time. I, hmm. I seem to remember. I, I think they updated it. I seem to remember it having some basic graphics or whatever in CGI or something. Oh, years wow. and years ago. I think the first one I finished though, was Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That's about the only one I ever finished when it was sort of new. In mm-hmm. quotes, it's an Infocom game from yeah, sort of late 80s, I guess. I don't know. but uh, Yeah, mid-80s, I think. Uh, not sure. It's, it's one of those Steve Maritsky-designed uh, games, I think. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, with a bit yeah. of help from Douglas Adams, I gather. But Yeah. So I finished that with a lot of help from a hint guide that sort of was helpfully included with the ripped copy or whatever of the game. <laughs> <laughs> Usual story. And I think that's that's probably about it for pure text. I, I, I've sort of gone back and played a few. I sort of hmm. just occurred to I've, I had a, a really boring job years ago where it didn't keep me particularly busy. And you could actually get away <laughs> with, you could have a tiny little DOS window with a text adventure. <laughs> and you could get away with it because it just looked like a DOS prompt from a distance. Right. <laughs> so I've play, I played Leather Goddess as a fur boss like that, I remember. Oh wow! Another Infocom one. This is years yeah. back. So I won't get away with that these days, of course. If my employer's <laughs> listening, but <laughs> <laughs> definitely stop doing that. <laughs> yeah, I don't really have time yeah. for that anymore, unfortunately. Nah, uh, but... <laughs> okay. Oh, the current job keeps you yeah. so busy. Yeah, no way you could play. <laughs> but so, so had you even heard of uh, of Gateway then? I'd, it's like a lot of these games. I, I, I got a copy on the shelf, but I never actually played it. So oh. I sort of played a few Legend games. I sort of picked up the early ones, but I never actually. I sort of got concentrating on the late ones where they sort of went all graphical adventure and point mm-hmm. and click. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, I never played any of these before. Oh, that's interesting. But you did have a boxed copy then. Well, you know, you know what well, I like with my boxed copy. Collectors, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, but still. Um, and I think I think the boxed copy also came with a uh, with a hint guide inside, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, I'm not 
it's, it's been a bit of a curse, that, because it's been a bit easy just to sort of pick it up when you're not so sure what to do. Yeah, I, I was wondering about that. So did you use it? Uh, a little a little bit. More than I would have liked, I think, with it between Sattler. So yeah. I should have sort of locked it away or something, I think. <laughs> you you should hang out on IRC with us more, because when I got stuck, I just asked Martin to look up the hint guide. Yeah. And uh, the one time that I actually did it, um, he asked a question, hey, should I answer this or that question? And actually, the question gave me the hint that I needed. So yeah. that was great. Yeah, it's not one of it's not one of these Sierra style ones mm. where you have to reveal the hints either. So they're all just sort of sat there, so a bit too easy to read them mm. by accident as well. Yeah, that's always a bit the thing with with walkthroughs, isn't it? Like you want to solve puzzles yourself, but once you're you're using one of these guides, it's yeah, it's really yeah, hard. It's also the same with cheats. Like um, when we had um, descent, I, the, the moment I, I used the cheat, I stopped playing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So oh well. But uh, does anybody remember the UHS system? Oh, oh yeah, from the DOS era. I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was yeah, great because that that's that's sort of the same style as in the hint book. Is is that okay? This is my question. And then you get maybe one hint that will uh, point you in in the right direction. Then you can give it. Then you can leave it at this, mm. as that. <laughs> and that sort of is is a much better way than sort of looking through a walkthrough as like a uh, open door and yeah. eat cookie get key kind yeah. kind of uh, methodology. Yeah. But and and especially in games like this, that's maybe a bit better than outright saying that uh, go mm. there and jump off Definitely. the cliff. <laughs> There was one that came with a sequel as well. I did it a bit better with that because they had like a list of questions with numbers. Then they had like a list of sort of vague hints mm. with numbers. And so you only sort of look at one thing at a time without sort of giving it all away. So I think I worked a bit better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but still, you need you need quite some willpower yeah. to not go back to the hint guide over and over again. <laughs> yeah, well, I had, I had some willpower, but no. more would have been good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good for you. So, so John... Um, did you had you ever heard of this game? Have you played text games before? Tell us something. Sure. Um, yeah. So I actually never heard of the game or the author, which is pretty surprising because I like reading science fiction, and you know I'll go back through the uh, classics and just pick a Hugo winner from a random year. So I think I would have eventually discovered it, but um, yeah, for some reason it just totally escaped my notice growing up. Um, and uh, as far as pure text-based adventures, um, closest I, I can say that I've played is much like Richard, I had a very boring job at one point. <laughs> and um, the Emacs editor that we used to write code had this this text-based game like buried within it called Done It. Okay. I don't know if you guys recognize that name or heard of it, but it was just, it was it was basically like gateway without the graphics. You just like type which way you're going to go and pick up stuff and use items on things. So, um, yeah, that's, that's only a pure text adventure I, I played. And then growing up, I was a huge fan of Sierra games. So I played a lot of like, uh, space quest one, two, three police quest two. all those games. You had to type in the commands. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was very comfortable hopping into gateway and, typing stuff in. In fact, I rarely used the mouse unless I really needed to. So yeah, yeah, felt right at home. Cool. Yeah. I, these Sierra games, especially the old ones, they're sort of hybrid as well, just like this one. I mean, in a different way, but still 
sort of both graphics and text merging into one experience. So, yeah, I can see there's sort of a similar style in 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 the way you play them. Although Sierra games definitely a, a lot harsher, <laughs> a lot, <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> a lot yeah. less friendly. Yeah, yeah. It's like in Space Quest One, you uh, one of the first things you do is exit the ship, and if you don't put on your spacesuit, your character blows up like a balloon mm. and explodes, and you have to load your game. Yeah. But uh, in this game, you know, I was trying to exit the spaceship with my spacesuit off, and they wouldn't let me. They said that would be certain death. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, this game was a lot friendlier, yeah. for sure. And even if you do die, uh, there's an undo button, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I think there's at least one one spot in the game where that doesn't work because you need to, you would have to go uh, like two or three turns back yeah, to but undo still, what you've done. Still, I mean, no Sierra game had an undo button, yeah, that's for sure. Of course. So, so this game is a... Well, they did, but not until much, much Yeah, later. yeah. I mean, not... Yeah, exactly. King's Quest mm. Seven. Much yeah, later, yeah, but that's 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 one of the last, uh, like proper adventure games they did, I think. Yeah, so it is. Yeah, okay. So so uh, most people are new to the game, um, right? Right. Um, as I said before, I haven't played much text adventure. I, actually, I lied because uh, now that we've talked about it, I remember that I've played at least ten or twenty minutes of Colossal Cave. Huh. Before, because it was um, pre-installed on some older Linux distributions, so that's where I uh, got uh, used to that game and quit it really quick again. <laughs> what I did though is I sunk many, many, many dozens of hours into multi-user dungeon games, um, or one specifically, um, which is basically World of Warcraft in in text mode. Mm-hmm. And I remember like drawing two or three uh, spiral-bound notebooks with maps, and yeah, it was, was, a, was a good time. <laughs> cool. And it was, it was a much more modern um, kind of game, so it has way more, way better parser than I was used to from the few text adventure things that I tried for a couple of minutes. Mm, right. Okay, interesting. And I think what's also sort of novel is that we've all beaten the game, haven't we? Well, I have. Yeah, I think everyone yeah. played it until the end. Yes, it's it's and that's 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 somewhat surprising because the game takes quite a while to play if you don't use a hint book. Like mm-hmm. I think I played at least thirty hours for both games together. Yeah, if not sounds more. about right. Yeah. Full disclosure: I started during the pinball month, so yeah, I <laughs> gave myself plenty of time. <laughs> yeah, but that's yeah, good for I you. Mean, the, the 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 games featured in the months they're, they're more like a guide right they're not <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're allowed to play games outside of the months <laughs> I'm glad to hear I'm not getting kicked out of the club <laughs> well of, of course your membership will be cancelled <laughs> <laughs> okay so yeah that's I think this this says a lot about the game to be honest the fact that we all finished it I mean the, there's something mm-hmm. captivating about this game and and something accessible uh even though it is a text adventure which i guess is sort of a hardcore genre but yeah there's something nice about this game i don't know i think it's also the least hardcore kind of text adventure that you can have Mm. i mean the puzzles are not really hard uh, once you uh, i mean there there's stuff like like many graphics adventures have way harder puzzles to figure out 
In this game, usually um, all the items that you need are in the place where you need them, like two or three screens apart. So mm. there's no backtracking. It's 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 it has a very low frustration uh, level. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But still, it's, and it's uh, beautifully made. So I think that that adds up to one captivating experience. Hmm. Um. Since the game is all about the story, maybe maybe that's a good subject to start with, like to explain what what the hell is going on. <laughs> uh, right. Does anyone feel like uh, summarizing the story a bit or giving an introduction to it, rather? So the idea is that uh, at some point in the future, um, Earth is terribly overpopulated. People are poor. They uh, don't... Not all of them have enough to eat, and they start mining food um, in on different planets, like on Venus, like they're uh, mining um, carbohydrates and growing molds on them and turning that into food and stuff like that. But at one point, one guy finds an ancient alien spaceship and somehow manages to activate it, and the spaceship flies him automatically to a huge space station. So this guy doesn't know how to get back. He doesn't really know how he got there in the first place. Uh, but he manages to blow up his ship and inform NASA of um, his whereabouts. So they somehow get there by normal air spacecraft and find the place and find out that there are lots and lots of those spaceships that this guy found. And they all have pre-programmed um, locations that they would fly to and return from. And that's basically the beginning of the story. Right. So it's like um, an alien parking garage, right? That's right. Yeah, they find a huge store of spaceships. Actually pretty close. Isn't it like between Venus and Mercury or something? Well, it seems like something we would have noticed, but... I don't know. Yeah, the, actually, uh, we talked about that. And um, since since then, I've, I've read the first novel, at least. And they say it's on this this um, gateway space station is on an orbit that is uh, perpendicular to the um, normal orbits that all other planets have. And usually, um, when astronomers look at the sky, they just look in the plane of the ecliptic, where is, which is basically the plane that all planets move in. And if you have something that doesn't move in this plane, then it, it's easy to miss. Okay. That sounds actually pretty technical. <laughs> well, it, it is, but um, it's also the, the, the novels are kind of hard science fiction. Not not super hard science fiction, but it's not your space opera, uh, Star Trek kind of uh, hmm. story. Okay, interesting. So yeah, the guy fi- finds the station and it's loads of uh, space stations. Uh, actually, this this starts a sort of. Um, a craze, right? A, a whole because people want to get onto these ships and and explore space. I guess it's kind of like a gold rush. Yeah, yeah very exactly. Much like people, rush. Exactly. It's it's yeah. very much like that. It's like not people with not a lot of opportunity on Earth. Um, you know, want to go and and find treasures because there's a small chance if if you get a spaceship that has a pre-programmed planet and it has something valuable, um, you could make a lot of money. Because this this whole uh, gateway is basically how humanity is advancing its technology. We're we're finding artifacts and taking them back and, and studying them. So it's very it's a very like opportunistic type thing. But apparently it's it's very difficult to get into. I think 
I think the main character of the story won a lottery ticket worth like two hundred eighty thousand dollars of twenty one oh one money in order to go and and have this opportunity. People are spending all their money um, to get to Gateway just to be to get that one shot at at getting rich. Even though like like eighty five percent of people don't get anything, and out of those like sixty percent die, so it's a big risk, but probably yeah. apparently one worth taking, considering the living situation on earth right, yeah, so they call the station gateway. I think we should mention this at least right yeah that's that's the name humans give that place exactly, and also of course, the name of the game, so yeah, it's all about the station, and you play. As exactly such a person, uh, I, I think the game opens on your first day, right? Like the day that you arrive on the station. Yeah, that's you when arrive the game on your in your quarters, and you are there. Your um, computer screen is flashing with messages that it wants you to read, and that's the beginning of the game. Exactly, and then you just step by step just follow the program. Really, I mean, there's a whole flight training program, and they basically the the whole game just leads you to whatever you're supposed to do which advances the story so it yeah it doesn't tell you explicitly what to do like literally but it does flow very naturally i feel yeah at least the first part is very well structured yeah and it's very fair i mean the game says um you have to be um at the training at 7 a.m but it doesn't really say what day so yeah <laughs> if you, you can... miss your your chance you come back a day later and everything is fine Right, exactly. I think in some cases it, it even just says is that it's at every day in this mm. place at yeah. seven. Yeah, exactly. I think all the time that, or is it eight thirty? But still, <laughs> no difference. Same difference. Yeah, exactly. Um. So yeah, that's that's the the backstory, I guess. Um. Did anyone else read? I, I mean, Florian read the novel. Did Did anyone else read any of the novels? No, I haven't. Or I actually asked my parents for it for a birthday present, so I'm planning on it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, they're they're kind of hard to get. I mean, the first the first novel there's a reprint from um, SF Masterworks, but uh, second and third you can only get them used. So, right, not that easy. Mm. And these novels are from the 70s, right? Yeah. the The only thing I did is I asked my mom because she's a big sci-fi buff and fantasy buff is that did she ever uh, read the novels and she basically just said she never really liked uh, Paul's style mm. so she didn't have much uh, anything else to say about it oh, really. that's a shame yeah, it seemed, seemed to have mixed reviews like you either loved it or you hated it Yeah, on Goodreads at least well at least I can say as a non-native English speaker that it's comparatively easy to read in English like, um, if you compare it to um, Philip K. Dick or something, then it's like 10 times easier to read. When I played this, I didn't even know there were novels or that Frederick Pohl was an author. I, I, I just thought it was like Sid Meier's Civilization, you know? I, <laughs> I, had, I had no idea. So, yeah. I, I, I think you can play these games without really knowing much of the backstory because the game yeah. guides you along. Anyway, so also the game isn't really based on the story. I mean, it's it's using the setting, it's using some of the um, elements from the novels, but it's not really based on the story itself. Mm. There's some overlap, but you, you, they those are completely uh, separate stories, really. Right. Different main characters, even so. 
Oh, how so? Don't you play as the 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 same lottery winning prospector guy? No, well, it's it's the same kind of person. So you win the lottery ticket and you come to Gateway to become a prospector. But um, in the in the novels, it's it's quite different. So the guy was used to work in the food mines on uh, somewhere in, in North America, and he won just the money, and then decided to spend all his money to get to Gateway. Hmm. Right. And he's, he's a very different kind of, of uh, character, really, to the main character of the game, which right. I think directly won the flight to Gateway. Actually, yeah, yeah. That that's what the game says, anyway. Uh, so, Richard, you didn't read the novels either? I mean, I didn't even know they existed. But No, I asked my dad about it as well, but he didn't seem too keen on Frederick Paul either. So. Huh. I, think as, I think it says, I think it was John said, is that it's, it was either hit and miss during that era because it really was sort of the golden era of, of a lot of people's uh, sci-fi interests. So it, if you didn't like something, you just picked up a different mm. author. Yeah. Guess, well, it may also be that the game, that the novels themselves, they were have always been kind of hard to get. I mean, the um, there's an afterword in this reprint that I've read, and the guy who wrote it said that he tried to get the book for like twenty years before he actually found a copy. Hmm. That's, that's no good. How old are these books then exactly? Oh, I, I actually forgot. I think they are from the mid sixties. No, seventies. So, so I think the first G- one. Gateway is from... won the nineteen seventy eight Hugo. Huh. Yeah, yeah. I think the first one is from nineteen seventy seven. Yeah, just from it seventy seven. Okay, yeah. And then the the rest. There's there's I think five books in the series in total. Well, that also depends. I think um, uh, at least for for the um, for the German editions, there are only three main novels considered part of Gateway. Hmm. But I think Frederick Paul published a lot of more a, a lot more books that actually take place in the same universe. So mm. I think they're they're universally considered part of um of the canon. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So yeah, that's that's sort of the backstory. So you're you're this guy on the station. Don't I, I, I like this kind of story to be honest because you as the player, you know exactly as much as the player character that you're playing. I mean the player character is new to the station, but so are you. So um, I, I feel this fits well. I mean, you're exploring the station, you're meeting people, but this all makes sense in the story. So, uh-huh. yeah, the experience really lines up nicely. Yeah. Often games have to rely on stuff like giving the player connect character amnesia or something. Yeah, and exactly. Here, it's just yeah. naturally. Yeah. Oh, hi, Anne. I'm your long friend for years, you know? It's like oh, all this setting up st- stuff is also so clunky and awkward. And there's none of that because, yeah, you're just a fresh new fish on the on the station. So mm-hmm. everyone's everything's new. Maybe it's it's good to explain a little bit how the game works, like how it plays, stuff like that, because it's it's pretty novel, I would say. We talked a little bit about the the interface already, but I think there's a lot more that can be said about it. Like this game doesn't open as a traditional text adventure. But it also doesn't really open like a point-and-click adventure either. It's it's sort of its own unique yeah. hybrid thing, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I when I opened it up uh, for the first time, um, it it was unlike any other game I'd ever played before. The uh, a little bit more than a quarter of the screen is de- dedicated to the graphics, and then you have 
like a huge text area on the bottom and then this really intimidating list of verbs <laughs> on the left-hand side. And um, I was like, oh boy, what have I gotten myself into? Because <laughs> um, they, they have dozens and dozens of, of verbs. And you know, if you're coming off of a games like Monkey Island, where you have maybe like eight, um, I was like, how am I ever going to get through this? <laughs> But uh, you don't need like 95% of them. So I'm not even sure uh, why they included a lot of those. Yeah. But, um, I, I think they just edit all the words that they could think of that the player might want to use. And then they edit them all in the list that you, even if, if they're not required, you could just still put them there. So Except, except, uh, except for the verb use itself, <laughs> which I got caught up so many times. It's like, use this. You know, yeah. I don't know what you're trying to do. That's not a right I, verb. Uh, I resorted yes, to typing please. activate. That, that seemed to work. Just type <laughs> activate thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you brought up use because that definitely tripped me up a lot. Um, but... Uh, and then you have uh, like a little compass with eight directions and you click on each direction. Um, it'll highlight which ways you can go. Uh, so that, you know, that's, that's pretty nice. It doesn't feel like um, you, you're like overwhelmed with options. Um, and then, you, you know, the basic gameplay loop is you, you go into a place, you type look, uh, it'll give you back a list of items uh, that you can interact with and then you, you can take them or you can, uh, activate them not use them um so yeah it's, i it quickly uh kind of gained my trust like i'm i'm not going to need to uh understand all these verbs or use them i'm not going to lock myself out of uh the game being able to win um because i didn't pick up an item so um yeah that, that was my take on on the interface at least yeah well there there, there was at least one um one location in the game where I got really confused by the parser. Uh, I think Martin remembers that part as well. It's um, There's a guy and you have to get him onto a raft. And I think the correct command is um, tell guy to get on raft. And I did ask guy to get on raft. Yeah. And wouldn't just do it. I was, I was really, I was going angry. I was about to, to <laughs> stop playing. Shoot guy with gun, <laughs> force him onto the raft. I tried, I tried all of those things, but uh, just, just yeah, that tell. Guy... I'm I'm not sure if you could do put put guy on that. Yeah. And why well. do you have to say this anyway? I mean, yeah. He it's his idea, right? I mean, he says, "Let's go onto the raft." So you go onto the raft and then he just stands there like, "Okay, are are we going <laughs> yeah. or what?" Like, but he's reading the magazine that you gave right. him before, well, right? Well, only if you get only if you did it. <laughs> I didn't give it to him and he was still just standing yeah. there. I think that was the um like 15 points yeah, that still. I was missing in this, uh, uh, in this game. I was missing 10 points somewhere. I don't know where. I think the hint guy actually includes a point list. So you could look it over if you want. Yeah, I didn't shake that guy's hand. So he docked me a point at the end. (laughs) Um, And and yeah, like later on, he, he asks you if you do everything nice for him. Hey, you know, can you take me with you? And I could not figure out what to type in to get him to get on the spaceship and come home with me. So I just said, good luck, buddy. You're, you're staying here on this plane. Uh, so I think maybe can, somebody else will rescue him. Yeah, I think you can just type yes. Oh, yeah. That's all you had to type was yes? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I think you go, he, oh, man. Like, can I come yes. with? And you just type yes, and that's it. <laughs> oh, good to know. Yeah, because uh, the, the, the parser itself 
and and the interface sort of self heals. So if you type something wrong, it's, you might say that invalid word, and then you could type the correct word in, and then it will fix the command. Right, but, that but you, you have just to say oops, right? You have to say like you you must type the the noun. Uh, and yeah, then you oops. Do, um, oops, water, and then say repeat the same command but with a re- different yeah. um, noun. Yeah, or or the fact is that if you want to uh, like do something uh, like uh, activate the the comm system in, in the beginning, then it picks up your card and puts that into the comm system mm. to activate it. So it assumes some things during the interface. So it's not yeah. so rigid necessarily. It's sort of like, and that's really nice. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the things that makes the game really accessible. Like you don't have to figure out, oh, I have to pick up the card. I have to put the card into the card reader. I have to push the button. You just say, um, use PV terminal and then, uh, well, activate PV terminal. Not use. And then it works. <laughs> Except you can't use use. Yeah. Actually, I did the, I did the opposite. I... I always did put card in slot and then mm. it automatically assumed that I would want to use the computer and yeah, yeah, gave him the screen. Yeah. Uh, did you have any any uh, problems with the interface, Richard? It's I've, I played spell casting about a year back, which uses basically the same interface of Legend's first mm. game. Yeah. So I kind of knew what I was getting. I quite, it's odd as the interface, but it, it, I do quite like it. If you actually go and try and do some sort of pure text adventure after, it does, you sort of realize how much you're missing all these nice little things like lists of all the objects that are in the room and all the exits. Did, did, the, first, did the first game do a map? Because I, I found out one of the function keys put a little map of where you'd been on the screen when I was playing oh, the really? second one. Yeah, and I was Really? I, so I never went back to check to see if the first game would have done that. I, I never no, saw any I of that I, I, in the first or the second game. So, uh, and I read the I manual. I drew several pages of maps for the second game. Uh, that would have been very useful. <laughs> uh, there are maps in the hint guide. Yeah, that was built. That's definitely built. That definitely helped. Yeah. So, but but I, I, there's no way I'd have actually used it's the interface to like click on verbs and select them. It's more like, uh, like, I don't know what to do. Let's have a look at what the options <laughs> yeah, are. Sort of exactly. Thing. That's what I did. And you can you can even change the layout of the screen. So you can have it um, like the way we described with the word list and, and stuff like that and the graphics on, on in the top right corner. Or you can remove the word lists. Then you have more space for text, actually. Or you can remove everything altogether and just have text. So no graphics, no no compass, no nothing. Which is usually it was really helpful when you're trying to um, do some of the puzzles, but then in the end, I always kept turning on the word list again because you just know what to interact with. Like when I was playing this um, this mud game, I used to just type examine whatever noun was in the text, and I, I did that for every noun in the in the in the description and for every noun that appeared in the description of the um, sub objects. <laughs> it was quite tedious. And in this game, you just know oh, there's there's no thing here, so just use the few words that the list shows. Yeah, I think it plays really well. Uh, it's 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 like what Richard said. Once you go back to a pure text game, then you really notice what you're missing. It's uh, yeah, it looks really weird. It doesn't look very friendly. I think when you see it the first time, but actually, it's it looks a bit like a spreadsheet, right? <laughs> yeah, it does. It's weird. It's it's weird to begin with that the the graphics of the game only take up like a quarter of the screen. Like okay, or or even yeah. less if you're in super VGA mode. Yeah, 
which yeah, Super VGA mode doesn't really use the whole potential of Super VGA because it's the same. It's only sixteen colors, right? These little mm-hmm. uh, graphics. Uh, but you get yeah. you get more screen space by yeah. using a higher resolution, which is yeah. great. That's it. Yeah. I see a lot of bullet points in our document under the title content. Lots of text-based puzzles, for example. (laughs) (laughs) Surprisingly. Yeah. So who wrote reading comprehension? Probably me, because the the thing with a lot of these puzzles was that you had to sort of understand the little nuances in uh, the environment to understand what the Mm. puzzle was. Like, for example, on one of the planets you visit, there's a force field that is rainbow color. And then you go into a room that suddenly has exits in in, uh, different colors that are the colors of the rainbow. And then you go, ah, yes, rainbow colored force field. You go through all the rooms in order of the rainbow. And then you get to wherever you're going and where you solve the, uh, put the thing to uh, put the force field down. So there's, there's a lot of these little, small, subtle hints where you sort of have to stop, understand what you're reading, and then act based on what you just read. Yeah. The first game is all about that kind of puzzle, really, right? So very few of the puzzles in the first game actually need this um, whole gateway universe to be in place. In the second game, it's it's different. So more of the, the puzzles are more interacting with the environment that actually makes sense in the context. But in the first game... Lots of the puzzles are stuff like you explained with the um, rainbow colors and just sorting things by color or similar things. Right. So some of those puzzles, you could just put them right into a D&D game and they would still work. Yeah. Yeah, they're more like generic logic puzzles that could work in any yeah. situation. Yeah. That's, that, that's a bit better or a lot better actually in the second game. Hmm. But it also means those puzzles are... They are very local. You don't need much context. They're easy to solve hmm. or comparatively easy. You don't often get stuck on them for a long time. Yeah. So it makes it really accessible and, and easy to play. I think the local aspect is really one of the best parts of the game because um, you start the game on the on the gateway station. Mm-hmm. And as you progress, the the station is acting like a sort of hub where you uh you 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 visit other planets and you also return back to the to the station so so all the planets that you visit they're like separate rooms separate levels separate separate worlds and rarely do you need things from one place and 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 apply them in another which makes everything pretty Yes, once. Exactly once. Once. <laughs> yeah, I think there's like literally one puzzle where, yeah. Yeah, we all remember. Which that is... was the one that got me using the head yes. book. Was that one? The gun. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> weird that they sent you on this super crucial mission, but then you have to steal a gun. Like, can't you <laughs> give me one? Since yeah, that's... <laughs> this is kind of important. That's also different in novels, by the way. So in the novels, they get gun training and uh, they get all kinds of weapons. Hmm. It is a fun puzzle, I, I, I will admit. Oh, yes, it's definitely yeah. great. Yeah. I think it's the cool. thing that got me with that is it sort of lulls you into... A f- so you visit these planets and they're all self-contained. You're not allowed to bring anything back. Mm. So you literally drop everything, don't you, when you get on the ship. So you do two of these and you think, oh, it's all self-contained. Then you go to the third planet and can't get anywhere without this gun. I spent so long wandering yeah. around with this spider sort of taking it out on me or whatever. 
I, I weirdly didn't really get stuck with this. No. I, I mean, I can see how it might be difficult to obtain the gun because you can't just take it. But once I had the gun, my first instinct at everything was just to shoot. <laughs> that was just the first yeah. thing I tried on almost every obstacle. <laughs> it was just, okay, I got a gun. I'm going to shoot it. Getting so, the gun is also an interesting puzzle. So yeah. I think it was, was one of the coolest puzzles in the first game. And yeah. I mean, it's it's accessible right from the beginning, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. And I just had the gun when I got to the, um, to the yeah, spider puzzle. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I had the same thing. I was I was shooting things left and right. So yeah, but I I went up to uh, uh, to the um, the garden, got the rose, and then uh, looked around. There's a lever, and then pulled that, and then this maintenance man came around, and then I just waited and listened to the story and put back all his tools, and then suddenly, oh, I have this uh-huh. maintenance key now. Oh, I know exactly where this maintenance <laughs> key goes, and then oh. This is how, this yeah. is how I get the gun, and then okay, <laughs> I had the gun before I even yeah. had my flight permissions, because <laughs> that took me longer longer to figure out how to get flight permissions because I didn't read the com <laughs> message properly, and and I had the gun already by then. But did you did you find well, who was it? Um, someone had problems getting the book that actually said uh, give it to your um, to your proctor guy and. Yeah, that's because I didn't read it. I should yeah. have. I should have. I mean, it's so stupid. I, like, it's one of the first <laughs> objects that you find in this game is a book. And it turns out the book was left by your mentor. Like, it should it should help you on your way. It's like really a tutorial kind of object to get you started. But I well, never opened it. I just took it and I just dragged it along with me, never, never once looking at it. So, yeah. I think the book actually says um, everything we know about the Hichi, which mm. is this um, ancient race that left behind Gateway and all the spaceships. And the book's just empty, like like 200 pages, <laughs> all empty. But the last yeah. one that says, haha, I played a joke on you. Come see me at that place at that time and I'll give you exactly. your, yeah. your data thing, your, yeah. your tablet thing. Yeah, which, do you actually need that? Because I never used it. But it was... The data it was tablet useful occasionally, I think, to get information, but I don't think you need it. You, I think you have to have it to get the um, uh, the flight training instruction and your. I know for blue a badge. fact that you can just go there without it because that's what I did because I didn't read the book and I didn't have it. So I just went to flight training and I just sat there and they gave me a blue badge. It was just fine. <laughs> okay, so and maybe it's part of the. Semi-optional content because, there are, as we said before, mm. get guy on raft. It, that whole world, there's a completely opposite mm. solution yeah. for everything. That was cool. I didn't even notice there were multiple solutions um, there. Like, I noticed it almost right away because I got items which I don't didn't have any intention of using. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. When you got the axe, for example, on the world, you notice that okay. You could use this to okay, well, cut down I, the I tree. just assumed there were red herrings, but yeah, I guess if, if I... No, I think it's I just you could, smarter, maybe. you could literally bulldoze the whole world. You could probably kill the guy too. <laughs> you can maybe shoot him. Shoot him with Get the, the stuff gun. You can off shoot almost everyone. <laughs> <laughs> any, any good stories of like what happened on your adventures? John, maybe? Do you, uh, do you have a favorite planet? Stuff like that. Um, I mean, I, I just liked the variety and I liked that 
as you guys mentioned, they localized everything so um, and built it into the story. So your CEO boss guy says, you're not allowed to take any items with you off planet. So when you go to planet A and you get stuck and you want to try planet B, it, you're not cluttering your inventory when you're with planet A's items because you have to drop them on the ground when you leave and then they'll be right there when, when you return. Uh, so that was nice. Hmm. Um, but, uh, you know... As, as far as like just the thing that got to me the most with the uh, the game, I thought it did a really good job with its uh, VR puzzles. Like you enter into virtual reality, and and like for instance, one of them you have to to break. Well, almost all the VR puzzles involve breaking the reality somehow, and and then you uh, can advance the story. But one one of the puzzles well it was not even a puzzle you every every vr instance was like a a solvable puzzle and then they put one in there where you're just talking to a shrink and he's telling you to do things over and over and over and i thought it was a puzzle and every time i'd get stuck somewhere else in the game i i would think okay i have to come back and solve this vr puzzle in order to (laughs) proceed so i spent hours in this this thing calling or uh, this uh, VR puzzle where talking to this guy Siegfried and he would tell you to like hit yourself in the face and, and then like climb up on the desk. And, and I was like, well, sh- shoot, I have to get this guy to give me like conflicting commands yeah. in order to break the reality. And, and it, it wasn't a puzzle. It was just some red herring that I just <laughs> wasted a lot of time in. But um, apparently uh, that guy's in the book. I guess yeah. Florian would know more about that than I do. Um, the VR thing is inspired by the book. Um, the whole book is told from from a point in the future where all the things on Gateway have already happened, and uh, the guy is basically spending every second chapter at his um, hologram shrink. Right. Okay, that's cool. I had a reference in there, but uh, yeah, I wish I wouldn't have spent so much time with him. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 it's really hard to swallow for me that you cannot break this room. I'm still somewhat convinced that you can although i sort of also know that you can't <laughs> i pretty much think that that when you get in and he says like okay you can sit down and if you break this well i'll give you i'll give you something then you automatically assume that okay the second one can be broken i think i gave it three tries and then figured out okay there's absolutely nothing yeah. that i can do uh, out uh, to do things because i started doing things out of sequence on my on my third try try and then it's sort of like okay fine there's nothing actually here move on yeah exactly it's it's kind of cool though i mean it's cool it's a cool idea to have these uh vr worlds that you can enter and then you can actually do something to break them and then get them into an endless loop or whatever it's uh it it feels kind of cool to do i also liked how that um pulled the entire story of the game together like you're on gateway you do those VR trainings, let's call them trainings. Mm. And in the end, the, the whole ending of the game is that you're basically trapped inside uh, VR. So, and you try to escape from there. Yeah. And yeah, you learn cool. all, the sco- all the skills and all the ways that you can do it. And like, I would say one fourth of the game is breaking VRs in different <laughs> kinds of ways. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, and it, you know, the game tries to trick you. It, you know, the, one of the first, well, not the first one, later in the game, um, you land on this station and, and someone opens the door and it's these like beautifully dressed people having a party <laughs> in the middle of this space station, like this alien station. And they tell you they're all like the Hichi prospectors, not the Hichi, the, the human prospectors that, you know, can never came back mm-hmm. and that um, they're just like having this party all the time. And, you know, things don't seem real, but, you know, that you have to like kind of figure out that you're in a VR and that it can be broken. So, yeah, uh, that stuff was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, when, when I came to that place, I actually knew immediately it was a VR. Uh, I think it's so obvious. Did anyone not feel like that? Yeah, it was, uh, it was all it was yeah. full of just nothing but good-looking women, wasn't it? In this bar environment, <laughs> in effect, <laughs> and the casino. I'm not sure. Was it a a, uh, a throwback? Yeah, to well, spell that's casting. what I thought. And there's like casino games, aren't there? And you win every single time unless you find mm. a way to break it. <laughs> yeah. Are there actually different ways to to solve that part? There were two. Yes, there are. Yeah. Yes. Because I really like the, the way that I got out of the casino. Um, at least, also, so one of the ways is that you are playing poker with other guys and you, you really have, you have like the, the best hand of all times and then you just fold. And the mm, guys are like, yeah. what, what are you doing? What, what, what? And then yeah. you're, the whole, um, whole simulation breaks down. I really like that part. It was one of my favorite puzzles, even though it's not very complicated. It's not, not a very hard puzzle, but it was super fun, I think. Yeah. There's also like a roulette table there or something like that. And you can put like whatever number you pick wins every time. But uh, you you can sneak in a second bet so that uh, it's impossible not to have a losing bet. And that also breaks the VR. That's what I did. Yeah, that's what I did as well. Ah, So my solution is unique. Uh Uh, That was was me as well. Ah. (laughs) Wait, where, where where can I remove you from the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> we'll edit him out in post, as, as usual. Did you encounter anything like memorable in, on your journey, Richard? I think I'd agree that the VR, the way they brought VR back at the end was definitely my favorite bit of the game. I'd, I'd agree with everyone there. It just sort of kept, you kept thinking you got out of it, then it adds another layer of VR, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's like Inception. Mm-hmm. Like you're in a VR, in a VR, in a VR. Yeah. So you get like the third time and it looks like you've just gone and won the game and you come back to Gateway, don't you? And yeah. And you you got to go to sleep and then get a message on your computer and that. It's quite it's quite clever the way they sort of brought this abstract bit of VR back from the start of the game and you had to tie it in. Hmm, definitely. Yeah. I'm not sure if I cheated a bit on the realization there because I use the status command right there to sort of like think, okay, how close am I to the end of the game? Because your points sort of mm-hmm. tell you a bit how close you are to the end of the game. And then it actually says is that there's this much time until the uh, the universe as we know it is oh, yeah. being <sighs> taken over by the bad guys. Uh, and it's sort of like, at the same. ah, I'm still in some That's kind of simulation. A bug. Yeah, I think it's a bug probably. Uh. Well, <laughs> I think it's a feature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shall we move on to like the background of how this game came to be and stuff like that? Well, we could also talk a bit about the second game. Uh, sure, if you want to. I, I think um, everybody on the show also played the second game, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. So the um, the end of the first game is basically that you. Um, oh well, it's, actually, I don't recall all the details now that I've read the other book. Maybe you guys can help me. So um, if I remember correctly, then the end of the first game is that you um, you solve the problem. You you're not the, the the universe or Earth is not going to be consumed by the assassins anymore. But then this other spaceship appears out of nowhere, right? I think we haven't even mentioned the whole assassins yet. The, the first game ends is where you activate the shield generation generators that hides Earth from a digital entity known as the Assassins, who are uh, destined or or attempt to destroy all advanced enough civilizations that uh, that uh, get advanced space travel. Uh, so, and these shield generators were left by the Hichi, and then your mission is complete. You're a hero, and then. You walk away with 25 million bucks. Very Mass Effect. Yeah. That's the end of the first game. <laughs> that, that's what I was thinking when I played the game. I was like, hmm, where did the Bioware guys get their inspiration from? <laughs> yeah, and then the second second game basically starts off as you're in this uh, nice, cozy apartment somewhere on Earth uh, with your $20 million still left or whatever. And uh, then... Uh, things start happening with when a uh, Hichi ship suddenly arrives in the solar system. Yeah, you're you're almost done. Like you don't want to go on any more space adventures. Like all they all you're being asked to do is train someone to go and visit this ship since you're the only person that's had contact with like the Hichi technology or the you know been on the space station. So um so yeah, like things start going south because this like religious cult that worships the assassins they they want to sabotage um, this trip and and go meet the spaceship and take it to go uh, reveal humanity to the assassins so that everything gets destroyed and so what happens is you kind of get roped into this adventure that you had no intention on uh, actually joining. Yeah, and apparently leaving a map that says here here lie dragons and giving the exact coordinates of the assassin homeworld is a great idea. <laughs> There's also um, you can quit the game at uh, at least three different points in the, in the story. So you can very early on you can just destroy the spaceship. I think that will bring you to this um, big Hichi spaceship, and the game will end, and we'll say, hey, yeah, it's it's, it's great, but uh, I guess the assassins will come in twenty years, so. You just bought us 20 years, but then, and then later you can do something similar again. So it, it doesn't feel like like losing. It's just like not the good end. Hmm. Yeah, you can give up, basically. Is that oh, you, can, okay. you can go home and then uh, wait for <laughs> impending That's doom. Interesting. The, the start of the game, especially of the sequel, uh, is very different to, to well, the whole rest of it because it's so hectic. Oh, yeah, it's really hectic. I hated it. I hated it. I hated the start of the second game just for that reason. Oh man, it did put me on edge. I, you know, I, I thought it was cool because it's playing this intense music, and you, you know, you can people are coming after you, and you can't just like wander around and take your time. You actually have to like figure out what you got to do quickly, otherwise, you know, that you'll get captured. And um, you know, yeah, it's it's really driving you. Yeah, it is. Very intense. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool, actually. Actually, I think I died at least 50 times in the first, uh, I don't know, 20 minutes of the actual gameplay of the second game. But it I, it, it didn't really bother me because uh, you always have this undo button 
and on the death screen. So just undo and you do retry. It wasn't wasn't really that problematic. What were you doing? Well, I tried all kinds of things, um, and sometimes I failed at the things that I tried. Like um, at one point, I, you you get a, a grenade, and I think I left it in in a room that was too close to where I was. <laughs> so I blew myself up, and there are just many ways that you can die, or you can blow up the um, the tram that takes mm-hmm. you to the launch pad, and there are many, many ways to die. Okay, okay. <laughs> or you get shot by the um, by the bad guys. Yeah. Did you play the sequel as well? Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Richard. You kind of have to figure out what you're doing in the second game, don't you? Everything seems to have a time limit, certainly in the early stages. So if you have to sort of get a bit further until you die and then sort of know the right moves, otherwise you run out of time, I was finding. Especially in the spaceship hmm. launch bit, that seemed to be very tight. Yeah. So they have like a trigger when you do something, then suddenly it gives you only a certain amount of turns to do something else until it actually sort of like basically makes you game over. So for example, when you refuel the ship or, or get the, the fuel things correct, I think you only have like a certain amount of turns before you have to realize that you have to blow up the, the tramway until you can actually get into the... Uh, the uh, uh, ship and then blast off. It was also in the first game. Um, on the planet where you can rescue the guy, you can remove um, like what, what's called an actuator core from its housing. And if you don't discharge it first, then you will have like six turns until you're dead. Mm. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. Like and the undo button wouldn't put you back six turns ago, just put you one turn yeah. back. So you, you could lock yourself out, but hopefully you would know something's wrong because this thing's beeping faster and faster. <laughs> Actually, in the in the on the planet with the um, with the rainbow that we mentioned earlier, there's this mysterious black pyramid, right? Uh-huh. And I thought, well, uh, there's this room where there's lots of weird insects all around, and there's uh, something glowing, uh, like a I don't know, some kind of shield blocking you. So I thought, oh yeah, the here's yeah. where the pyramid comes in. Maybe I have to put it on the floor, and something happens. So I type drop pyramid, um, but then it doesn't put it on the floor. It just well drops it and it breaks, <laughs> and then from there you get like three turns and then you're dead. But you can only undo one move. So yeah, yeah. You're, that's... Dead and stuck. Oops. So. In the second game, I I learned to to create safe games with a new distinct name every couple of turns. Like whenever <laughs> yeah. I achieved a major thing, I created a new safe game set in the safe game name. What I just did and <laughs> that helped a lot. Yeah, exactly. I I did pretty much the same on that, and that's uh, especially actually when I I replayed the second game again because I wanted to try out with uh, a different. Uh, synth emulator and uh, because some of the, the access codes in the game change based on the game and because I was going through all the dialogue I m- didn't remember <laughs> what the access code was and then I was basically soft locked oh. out of the rest of the game I, w- I wanted to ask you guys how many save files you have because um, when I play games like Sierra games I have like 50 or a hundred save files at the end of the game, but when I play LucasArts games, I just have one save yeah, file. So yeah. I was curious what uh, type of game this was for you guys. But apparently, everyone kind of made multiple saves, or at least learned to at some point. 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just trained by playing Sierra <laughs> games to do this in all games. <laughs> well, I, I learned quickly because <laughs> I did something, something wrong in the, um, in the first game at one point, and they had to replay like I don't know, like uh, an hour worth of, of, of gameplay, and I was a bit pissed off by that. And then mm. I learned to make more safe games. Yeah, it's, it's. I think it's the adventure way, also. Yeah, yeah. Also, what you just said about um, you didn't know what the codes were. There's you can create like like a, a transcript of everything that you do in the game, except for stuff that is um, shown in the um, cutscenes, and in the second mm -hmm. game also stuff that is in, in the dialogues. Yeah, well, the second that that was exactly it because it was in the uh, second game, almost at the end, where you get the uh, test code for the uh, personal cloak, and. I didn't remember what the test code was anymore. <laughs> I mean, that's that's because you can't get it unless you. I think do that's, that's a major oversight. I mean, stuff that's you get a full transcript of everything, every bit of text in the game, while you play it, and you can look up a text file afterwards. But the important information is usually conveyed in dialogues and in cutscenes, and mm. those don't get locked, which is that was kind of but annoying. That's... That's only true for yeah. the sequel, though. We, we actually had a discussion with Florian about this, is that uh, at the end of the second game, you need to know a specific line of text to input. And we were wondering whether it was a potential soft lock where there was no hint left on what there was. But I went in and checked, and there was, a, uh, there was mm. still a leftover hint somewhere to, to figure out what the name is at the That's end. That's good. That's good. But I think this is all more of an issue with the sequel, right? I mean, there's not really anything like this in the first yes. game. Um, it has codes, but it's it the codes change. But you, yeah. I think it's it's on the is it in the all. first game? Yeah, I think um, this this planet where you get all sleepy and you fall asleep and have dreams. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's some important information in those cutscenes, and it, I think the important mm -hmm. part gets repeated yes. each time you fall asleep. Yeah, but also you—that that was another problem that I had with the game—is that in those cutscenes you cannot um, control the speed at which um, the text is displayed to you anymore, hmm. and that was a bit problematic when I was playing late at night and I was a bit tired and I couldn't read that fast anymore, especially since it's not my native language. And then hmm. uh, that was a bit—I was yeah. kind of kind of being put on edge yeah. whenever there was a cutscene. Print screen, my friend. Print screen. It's, oh. it's when you do skip it. There's a slight <laughs> delay, isn't there? So I was sometimes press return and it'd skip the text after what you just read. That's what uh -huh, I got yeah, me. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, it's mm. teaching it. I was going to yeah, say it's I teaching it to be faster. Those things, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Save before the cutscene if you were lucky. <laughs> Yeah, I had that as well. That you you were finished reading and you press return, but just as, at that moment it would go to the next slide, and then uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Let's let's just say there the game is not perfect techni technically. No, but <laughs> no, it's pretty good, but it's yeah. Well, in the end, it's also a pretty small studio um, legend, the the studio that made this game. So I mean. Everyone knows the Sierra and the LucasArts games, but those were like powerhouses compared to Legend, which, yeah. yeah, it's just a handful of people making this. So I guess I guess it's pretty impressive for what it is. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, now 
Yeah, we've, we've mentioned the um, dialogues already, which um, have really changed from the first game. In the first game, you just um, tell the text parser, uh, talk to person about whatever, or ask person about topic. And in the second game, you get like multiple choice dialogues. And I was really, really upset um, at the way those dialogue options were written. Like the main character comes off as a, as a major jerk. He's like, those, those message, of, those, those dialogue options that you get, they are like, what an asshole would say such things. <laughs> and I was, it didn't really fit my, my image I had of the main character, especially since I'm supposed to, to like, you know, um, incorporate that person. So. I think John said it well on the forums, actually. He posted, but yeah, what's up with those dialogue options? <laughs> <laughs> especially in the second half of the game, the character would give an eloquent lecture on the nature of humanity then five minutes later, he's all dude bro dialogue options yeah. that really didn't fit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well said, John. It's, you know, thanks. Yeah, I didn't. It's not even like you have the option to say the same thing, either like as a jerk or the nice way. It was like all jerk options. Like, hey, you pansy heat you and eat my dust. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> didn't make sense. Yeah, it's really weird. It's. And maybe it's a bit of a 90s thing, but yeah, it's also just bad writing. It felt really out of place. Yeah, right? I, I quite yeah. liked having the options, yeah. to be fair. It was, it was a bit odd in the first game where you'd like, hmm. you had to sort of wait at the bar and things, didn't you? And they'd sort of talk at you, but you had to sort of do something to pass the time. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. That's, the system is definitely better. It's just that the particular options mm-hmm. given are not great. But yeah. not, not great is a nice way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> well they, they got the job done in the end right so. sure 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 yeah um yeah shall we shall we do the the development stuff i mean we can talk more about the contents after because then we'll dive into the graphics and the mm-hmm. sound and the releases and the sequels and all that stuff so i think i think the history is all Martin's <laughs> like deal usual. for this, well, this episode. So no, well, go I ahead. Mean, I made this video, right? So I mean, for the video I made, I I kind of uh, researched it, and then, but I I would have researched it anyway for the podcast. So yeah, it's the whole reason I made the video is actually to watch it as research for the podcast. <laughs> but there was no video, so <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's how it went down. Um, but yeah, we, we, we covered some stuff of this already. Uh, like for example, text adventures, they are really old genres of video games, like really one of the oldest, maybe even I found this, uh, program called Eliza from the 1960s, which simulates a psychotherapist, which you can talk to. And it's all about, well, parser stuff, all about natural language processing experiments. Uh, I think there's a browser-based version nowadays, which you can try. It's kind of fun. It's really basic, of course, but yeah, they were they were experimenting with text parser stuff uh, from the 1960s onwards. And then we we talked about um, we yeah we talked about Colossal Cave Adventure a little bit, which is a 1976 game by Will Crowther. Crowther, I don't know how to say it. Crowther, I think. Um, yeah, that's the first real adventure game, I would say. It's a, uh, it's 
Is it really an adventure game? That's not really the vibe I got from you, Esco, actually. It's more like a cave dungeon. It's not, it's, it's more like yeah. a dungeon crawler more than yeah. an adventure game. But it's still known as an adventure game. So I don't know. Well, it was, I remember, I think it, it, the executable was mm. probably called adventure or something similar. So back then, it's probably what they, uh, what they called it was adventure, and that was the name of of the executable and and how it got. Re- yeah. Well, I'm not sure how it was released Me or anything, either. but uh, but it's 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 not. It, story is a very 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 little part of it because it's mostly go into cave, collect all the treasure, drop treasure in your house, mm. you right. win. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think the real story driven games came out of Infocom's studio, right? Um, starting with 1980s hit game Zork, which took of yeah, it it took the world by storm. Um, and it launched Infocom as a as a really serious game studio. So all during the 80s they were they were massive. They were like the text adventure game studios. Interactive fiction actually they called it. Uh, which I'm told is a marketing term to make it more fancy and to get the games to be sold in bookstores. So, yeah, I don't know how it went down exactly, but that's what I've been told. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that that uh, because I remember PC software being sold at mm. like Barnes and Noble uh, and things in the mid to late '90s uh, when visiting the U.S. Is 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 that if you have it as interactive fiction on the shelf, you're more likely to buy it if you're there to look at for fiction yeah. otherwise. So there you can sort of think. And, and I mean, I think the interactive movie concept came out at mm. some point as well. So it's, it's probably more just realizing this, that this is more story rather than, I don't know, uh, playing, well, Wolfenstein came out in the in the nineties, but you know, some kind of uh, hop and bop from the eighties, or 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 this NES console game, console games that people had. So not really video games, but more like something geared for more mm. adult audiences. Yeah, exactly. yeah they uh, Infocom apparently launched over forty games, or almost forty games actually. So in 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 just a decade, because um, nineteen eighty was Zork. And like in the mid eighties, um, Infocom was acquired by Activision. And well, I read several accounts of this. Some say that Activision ruined Infocom, but others said Infocom was re- doing was really struggling already um, because they were trying to be a non game studio as well. They uh, put out a relational database called Cornerstone in eighty six which was a massive flop. Uh, but they did put a lot of resources into that. And then, yeah, the games were maybe hurting from that as well. And yeah, things things went south. And Activision didn't really get it or help much either. So yeah, it just... Mm. I think the, the studio was closed down eventually in 89. Uh, although they did release a bundle, The Lost Treasures of Infocom, in 91, 
um, which is basically like a greatest hits, like like a lot of Infocom games bundled together, which I read was a massive success. And um, I think there were a lot of people who missed out on some of the Infocom games, and this was a, a good way to get hold of them, like a last chance, you know, to, to buy the, these games. Uh, so yeah, that was a big success, and it actually somewhat saved Activision because they were almost bankrupt in the early 90s. But yeah, so they closed down Infocom, but also Infocom's property sort of saved them from bankruptcy themselves. So yeah, there's a, I don't know, there's some kind of moral to this story. I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> they kept the brand going, didn't they, for a bit? Because there, there was that sequel to Leather Goddesses of Phobos, which was sort of famously bad. A sequel, and then the, and then they did return to Zork as well, didn't they? That's about ninety three. So they sort of brought Zork back. It was sort of all singing and dancing. I think that was one of the first games to play on a MPEG decoder card. If you had one at the time. Oh wow, that's cool. Oh, cool. not that I did, but that was not. Yeah, that was not the the original Infocom studio no, who made no, those no. things. And so yeah. Anyway. Um, when Infocom closed in 89, uh, there were some people interested in reviving the, well, uh, trying to save it. I don't know how to say it. But anyway, one of the people who was involved with Infocom was Bob Bates. Um, He actually started his own text adventure studio in the mid-80s called Challenge Inc. And at first, the idea was to compete with Infocom and and they were going to make more hardcore games, more even more difficult. And, and that's why they called it Challenge, because the idea was, well, you like Infocom? Well, here's a challenge, something like that. Um, so yeah, they were going to make even more punishing games. Uh, but then soon they figured, well, actually, we need a like a parser for this. We need a, an engine, a system. And they approached Infocom with the question uh, if they could maybe use their engine. And they were open for that. And they were so open to that idea that they even uh, published Bob's games. So, yeah, even though he developed some games from his studio challenge, uh, they were Infocom games in a way because they used the Infocom uh, engine and they were published by Infocom as well. They signed a contract for three games. The first of them was Sherlock, the riddle for the crown jewels in 87. The second game was Arthur, the quest for Excalibur in 89. Interestingly, Arthur is is one of the few Infocom games to use graphics. So apparently the engine was capable of it, but it was not really used in any of the Infocom's own games for some reason. I don't know. Um, and then the third game they were going to make was The Abyss, based on the James Cameron film. Um, and I, I, I saw uh, an interview with Bob where he actually met James Cameron and he went down to the set where they were filming The Abyss in this giant water tank and everything. So it was apparently pretty impressive. Uh, but sadly, The Abyss was cancelled and, and the game was never released because, well, I, I guess because Infocom was closing down as well around this time. So, yeah, it was a bit of a mess. Um, what is interesting, though, is that The Abyss, they were going to try a new user interface for The Abyss and it was going to be in three columns. The The leftmost column would have all the possible verbs and the middle column would have all the possible items. 
And then the right column would be split in half, where the bottom half would be the normal text flowing like, yeah, like normal. And then the top half would be used for a little graphic to describe the room. So I may, I, I don't know if this sounds familiar, <laughs> but this is almost literally what they did with all the legend games. So yeah, this was actually prototyped for, for the Abyss, which was going to be an Infocom published game. Uh, but then Infocom closed down and Bob Bates and Mike Verdu got together. Mike Verdu was running a software, like a freelance software development studio, something like that. And he had helped out Bob Bates before with software projects. Um, so yeah, they got together and they were like, okay, Infocom closed down. That's our engine gone. That's our publisher gone. Now what? And they realized, well, we're kind of experienced now and we have made some games. We have no plans of stopping, so why not just continue this? So they started a new company called Legend Entertainment. And they actually hired Steve Maretsky from Infocom because, he, yeah, he was now out of a job. He was not doing anything. So they worked together with Steve Maretsky to write a new game. And I guess Mike Verdu was in charge of developing a new engine based on the, the user interface idea they had for the Abyss. And this first game, that was going to be Spellcasting 101, which was uh, the, the Steve Maretsky written risque comedy uh, fantasy game, I guess. It's, it involves a lot of sexy women, doesn't it? <laughs> it's... Uh, it's, yeah, bad humor and sexy women seems to be a good <laughs> summary of this game. Must have been somebody who took after Al Lowe. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, maybe even the, the other way around. Uh, yeah, this was some somewhat of a theme, I think, in the 80s to make these kinds of, yeah. I can tell you there's also a lot of sex in the um, Gatewell novel. So, <laughs> mm, But not in the game. No, not in the game. <laughs> Yeah, he did, he did Leather so. Goddesses of Phobos, did Steve Moretzky, if yeah. I remember right. That was, that was a bit risky. I think I think they were kind of thinking of doing something along the same lines, sort of like a safe bet for the first game with spellcasting. Yeah. I, I think spellcasting can be described as Leather Goddesses of Phobos, but instead of science fiction, it's fantasy. That's sort of the idea, yeah. yeah. Um... But they did develop the whole engine for this game. So, uh, yeah, the, the whole verb list, graphic in the corner, uh, all this stuff was developed for spellcasting. And they, they pretty much kept the same engine uh, for all their text games, really. Uh, they made six or five. Well, they made three games in the spellcasting series. Um, and they also made Time Quest, Eric the Unready, and then the two uh, gateway games. So yeah, that's they got some use out of this engine. They, uh, yeah. Um. So Gateway is actually the fourth game in this series of text games. Um, Gateway Two is is the last game they did. So yeah, by this time I think the engine was was pretty stable and pretty complete. Uh, they had some experience already making games using it. And that's maybe one of the reasons why this game feels so smooth and accessible. Because, yeah, they were they were used to making games this way by now. Well, you know, Sierra made like a million games with the same engine. And they never <laughs> became smooth. 
<laughs> that's that's very true. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, um, I guess they had a different philosophy. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, this Mike Verdu guy, uh, like you said, he started his own company and he sold it before he even turned 30. So he, he was a really talented guy. And uh, I guess when uh, he started founded the company with uh, Bob Bates, uh, he was doing like CFO, COO, project management, um, let's see, uh, hiring. He had, he had all sorts of things to do, but it, apparently it wasn't enough for him um, because he told Bob he also wanted to start coding and doing game design. So um, he, he told Bob, you know, I'm really passionate about the Gateway novels. And, um, you know, could you get in contact with Frederick Pohl and negotiate a deal. And I guess, you know, I, it, it went pretty smoothly. Um, and they uh, had the liberty to use the Gateway Universe, but Frederick Pohl was largely uninvolved. Um, so they they could do whatever they want without getting his approval every step of the way. But apparently he did like it because he, he wrote a really nice um, note about the game in, in the hint guide. Yeah. That's really cool. The the thing that I read was that, uh, or actually, there's a there's an interview with Bob Bates on YouTube, and in that he talks about the fact that they were sort of struggling because Steve Maretsky was also doing other projects, and of course Bob Bates, he had also the company to run, so they were they were struggling to get enough games out, and this is really why they were looking for more people to get into the role of game designer and help them put out more games. And I think this is where Mike Verdu stepped in with the idea to do something with the Gateway novels. But they didn't... Well, Mike Verdu had never made a game before this, right? So they didn't just want the CFO guy to make a whole game, I guess. So that's when they came up with this idea to split the game into three parts because the game... It, it 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 plays like one continuous story, but sometimes there's this title screen that comes up, just like Monkey Island, for example. So it's like part one and then part two. And if you look at the credits, the, the different parts are actually all designed by different people. So Mike Verdu, he did uh, part one and then uh, together with a guy named Dwayne Beck, which I think is a programmer for Legend. Uh, so Dwayne and Michael, they they tackled part one. And then Bob Bates and Michael Lindner made part two. Uh, Michael Lindner, I think, is a music sort of guy, although he also did a lot of programming. And I don't know, most of these people seem to be doing multiple things. I, can, I guess that's just the nature of a small company, maybe, where basically everyone is doing everything. So, yeah, that seems to be... The deal here. Um, part three was made by a guy named Glenn R. R. Dahlgren, which I think is also a music composer, because I think actually the music in this game is made by Michael Lindner and Glenn Dahlgren. So, um, yeah, and then Bob Bates sort of oversaw the whole project. So, so that's the setup they chose, which is kind of interesting, right? Because it makes this game a sort of training ground for new people to try the ropes of writing a game without having the full responsibility of having to, yeah, do this all from scratch by yourself. So, yeah, it's interesting because you don't really read a lot about this sort of way to make a game. 
So, yeah, I thought it was interesting. Um, so, yeah, this is the fourth game they made. The last text game was Gateway 2, the sequel, which uh, the, after that they switched to graphical points-and-click style adventure games for a while. But then they also did completely different things after that. Um, notably, they made Star Control 3 in 96, which I believe was received very poorly. Um, people really loved Star Control 2, of course, which was like one of the coolest star, uh, science fiction, fantasy adventure games out there. So I think expect- expectations were maybe really high for Star Control 3, and then they didn't quite... Well, I didn't play it myself, so I don't know the details, but what I've read, people re- didn't really respond well to this one. I don't know if anyone here has played Star Control 3, but... Never heard of it. I've only, I only played the demo, but I remember reading the v- reviews, and it's basically 30 points off uh, just because it was not Star Control 2. Yeah, that's the thing. People just had such high hopes that they could never make this uh, true. But yeah, oh well. Um, they made another game called Wheel of Time in 99. And then in 2003, interestingly, they made the sequel to Unreal. They made Unreal 2. The Awakening, I think it's called. Yeah, that's different. <laughs> that's not a text adventure. But yeah, I think I think they were really struggling a bit and, and grasping at at. at well, trying to make this work somehow, but it wasn't really working. So eventually they closed down in 2004, which is sort of the end of Legend Entertainment. Recently, Bob Bates did a Kickstarter. Did you know that? He uh, he did a new text game in 2017 called Thomastry in Charm's Way. So, yeah, I, I have not played it myself. I don't know if anyone here has, but... I thought it was kind of interesting to learn that he's still making text games. Seems like an interesting thing to check out, right? And Mike Ferdu, he 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 did very well for himself, actually. He joined EA later and he worked for Zynga for a while. I think really high up functions. Like he was some kind of, I don't know, senior executive guy. Um, the last role I saw was him being the vice president of EA Mobile. So, yeah, I guess he's a he's a boardroom type guy or something, or I don't know, a suit, <laughs> so, a guy who uh, who takes up really high up decisions. I I bet he looks a lot at spreadsheets. That's uh, my impression of him. <laughs> He'll feel right at home after the interface uh, for. Uh... The yeah, Legend Text exactly, Adventures. Exactly. Very, very. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I actually read that that Steve Moretzky didn't like the interface at all. Uh, there's a quote from him somewhere where he says, yeah, it seems to me like this is just what they came up with, but it doesn't really help or work or something. I don't know. He, he didn't really like it. but Maybe color, ah, well. color would have helped, maybe. <laughs> yeah, what's that? Like gray? Come on, it's a video game. Who who thinks of gray? But uh, looks a bit like no like a Windows three point one. Yeah. Oh no, no, not actually because it has three um, D buttons. I think right. It does. So more like Windows ninety five was ahead of its time. Uh, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's the that's the rise and fall of of Legend Entertainment. 
Uh, any questions? <laughs> <laughs> There'll be a test now. <laughs> did, no. did they put out a Sh- Shannara game too? <sighs> I'm not sure. Yeah, they did. They, they did. Yeah, wasn't that the guys who the Coles who did Quest for Glory? Was is that right? Was it them that wrote that game? Yeah. Yeah, they did Quest for Glory. Yeah. Yeah, they did Shinara. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like they like to grab these um these literary licenses because, you know, Shinara's fantasy series by Terry Brooks and Wheel of Time is a fantasy series by Robert Jordan. So I mean uh just and then you know, Gateway, of course. So uh, kind of interesting to me. Yeah. I think they did it as a way to attract some fans, like to have some sales guaranteed. And also, maybe so they didn't have to come up with an entire universe. I think it, yeah, it sort of makes sense. But then again, you lose some revenue. I have some kind of memory that both the Shinara and the Wheel of, Wheel of Time games were very bad. <laughs> okay. But, but it might be a false memory from back then, but... But I re- I remember them being sort of criticized mm. during the era. The Shinara one yeah. was okay from what I a very, very long time. So. I quite like Death Gate, it, which was another one, another novel that was based on. Not that I've read the novel, but that's another sort of fantasy adventure. So they're quite good at some of the point and clicks, the ones I've played anyway, so I'd certainly recommend them if anyone's into adventure games. Yeah. I will definitely check some of these out. I've, I don't think I've played any of them. So, yeah. I, it seems they were pretty good at making these, it, from what I can tell. But, yeah, never really the breakout success like Lucas. Or yeah, Sierra. I think they were always just a bit light. I think text adventures were kind of out of fashion. So it mm. didn't work out. So they move on to point and click, probably just as that's going out of fashion. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Yeah, 93 is not maybe the time to start making point-and-click adventures. It's, yeah. Ah, well. Ah, well. Um, it's still kind of cool, though, I feel. I mean, it's, it's because it's so late, it's, it's also refined in a way. It's, uh, yeah. I, th- I think sometimes when you're late, you're better at handling it, and it's less of a... A journey of discovery and more of a, yeah, just using the lessons learned instead of <laughs> figuring yeah. it out. Also, so. likely means that you are really passionate about the topic, right? So, hmm, maybe, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much uh, the whole Bob Bates, Mike Fordu, Legend Entertainment story. So, yeah, let's move on. The next bit in the document is about graphics. So I guess we'll talk about graphics, which is kind of an odd yeah. uh, subject Weird. for a text game, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love the font. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. Who has something to say about the graphics? Well, the graphics, you, when you explained the user interface, um, you said that there is a graphic, um, a small graphic window on the top right of the screen. And that's that's where all these um, images are displayed of the location where you are and people you talk to and stuff like that. And uh, while it's a 16-color game and all those graphics are in 16 colors, I think those images don't look like 16 colors. Not at all. I think this is... I, I, I'm amazed at how well they use the palette of like 
maybe they have, they have maybe 12 colors left after uh, taking four kinds of, of white, black, and gray for the user interface that left them with 12 colors for the, um, for the images. And that's mm -hmm. just amazing. I mean, mm. I remember we, we were actually discussing if that was actually 16 colors or not. And then we, we, yeah. we took a screenshot from the internet and um, I used GIMP to count the colors. And I thought, oh, wow, wait, it's like 50 colors. And it turned out it was just JPEG compression. <laughs> <laughs> we, we're trained professionals. We know exactly what we're doing. <laughs> but the, the thing is, is back, at, back in that era, they used a lot of dithering and, and uh, other uh, yeah, uh, artistic ways to uh, make the 16 colors look much, much well, yeah. which is sort of famously done in a game that I'm extremely mm. familiar with called Loom. But it, it's, it's definitely, it's one of the best 16-color games right. I've ever totally. seen. And it, and it helps that it's a small screen. And, but, but on top of that, um, all those images just look like they picked like two U's for each of the images and then just got um, the most use out of that. And it, it's just just perfectly done, in my opinion. Hmm. Definitely. It's, it's impressive. It, it also fits the game well, I feel. It's like it sets the tone of... It's not a, a kid's comedy game. And mm -hmm. you can kind of tell from the graphics. So. Yeah, they're, they're And they describe the locations well. Yeah. So, well done. Yeah. Though the game also works in EGA and CGA, and I think even in black and white um, Hercules modes, if I'm not mistaken. Obviously, those don't look nearly as good, but still. Mm. And you can play the game in SVGA, which we mentioned earlier, but that only increases the resolution. The images just stay the same. Uh, 16 yeah. color. They're just a bit smaller than in the screen. But I still think that, that um, 800 by 600 is the better mode to play the game in because you get more mm. screen estate for your text. And That's true. Yeah. Awkwardly, though, the in Super VGA mode, the graphics don't fit into their window, which, right. I don't know, it didn't feel right to me. There's less gray borders to the left yeah, and I right, think, which aren't there. I guess they didn't know what to do with the space. I mean, yeah. um, left, left of the image is the, um, the compass and some other buttons, and I guess they just didn't know what to do with the space. Yeah, so it doesn't fit as well. I don't know. I, I, this is mainly why I prefer the, the VGA version. But yeah, it's it's fine in either, in all modes, really. And of course, there are these um, cutscenes and some some other images that are in two hundred fifty six color, mm. full motion almost, which is almost why, full motion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is why they promote oh, it yeah, on yeah. the box. <laughs> If you look at the box, it says two hundred sixty fifty six color animation three D blah blah blah. And it's, it's true, yeah, but it's also it. not. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like true for 1% of the game. But and when, when you look up the, um, the, the uh, box design, they have screenshots below that. And those are all just full, just small images like um, that would fill up one fourth of the screen. And they look like they are full yeah. screen on the box. So yeah. It's uh, quite deceptive marketing. A bit. But they look good. I think, oh, yeah. honestly, once you get over the grayness of the user interface, the game looks really good. Yeah, so. the, I think the gray isn't really a problem. I mean, the text in the end, it's, it's black text on, on white background. That's, it just mm -hmm. works. I mean, it's not, it's not straining your eyes too much. It works. No, no, it's good. It's good. 
Um, what's kind of annoying is is that the the graphics switch all the time. They switch modes, right? Yeah. Uh, someone wrote in the document that it's super annoying if you're playing in windowed mode, but I assume they didn't plan for DOSBox in '92. No. <laughs> no, that, I wrote that because I I play with uh, uh, I have pixel perfect mode on on DOSBox and. Uh, some uh, I tend to not play uh, uh, in full screen because I tend to be doing a lot of other stuff maybe at the same time. Uh, then it's just felt weird is that the window would physically move on the screen. Mm. So it, it yeah. was it was a bit annoying. Right. I remember that um, at least in the version of, of DOSBox that I had and my window manager on Linux that I was using, that um, each time I switched out of, of full screen mode and back into full screen, um, the window would would move slowly down the screen each time I uh, moved back to windowed mode. And at one point, <laughs> it was moved the entire way out of the screen to the bottom, and I couldn't do anything anymore. I had to just force kill it and start the game again. Ah, <laughs> uh, well. But yeah, I guess back on a real DOS machine, this would work just yeah, I mean, the, you obviously yeah, you have some, any some syncing time, like like two, three seconds each time you switch display mode but then again you probably had similar long similarly long load times for the videos and stuff yeah yeah well talking about a real dos machine the graphics were fine because i'll try and use real hardware whenever we do one of these but i could not get the midi music to work on a dos machine it just crashed every time i had to go with adlib so ah that's too bad and i couldn't get svga to work until the sequel either so i was oh it's not 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 Mm. big loss at 640 by 480 but well, yeah. I couldn't. You can't get the uh, SVGA mode to work in DOSBox unless you use the uh, Tseng Labs uh, sort of adapter as well. So I think it's more that it was supported on some specific cards, yeah, yeah. and some specific routines, but it's not necessarily. And the same thing probably with the MIDI MIDI as well. Although MIDI is, MIDI, I think a... MIDI is much more yeah. standardized than um, SVGA. Mm. I mean. You have your your MPU interface, which is always at the same um, or one of three ports or something like that. So yeah, I was trying to use a Sound Blaster sort of as the MPU. I'm thinking you probably need a genuine the genuine article to play this one. Yeah, yeah, that's probably it. It might actually be trying to play through the MIDI MIDI interface in the Sound Blaster rather than using the Sound Blaster chip itself. You have a you have a real MT32, don't you? Richard? I do, yeah. So uh, I picked picked it up ages and ages ago. It's one of these things I could never afford at the time. I sort of picked one up for about 40, 30, 40 quid about years and years. But it's really cool. It's I'm not sure. I mean, well, the music in this game isn't the biggest selling point, but it's, it's the the Sierra games. I was a big fan of all the Sierra games. The soundtracks on them are just so much better than what I had on AdLive. Yeah. Mm. The, the music, well, I think it's good music, but it doesn't really add anything to the game. It's not really space music in any kind kind of sense. There are not many no. sp- uh, sound effects. No. It's only PC speaker sound effects, right? Like, simple boop, and that's it. I, I couldn't even tell. I mean, there's, there's one, one place, whenever you um, enter your spaceship again, and it's um, like, like refilling the air inside the cabin. Hmm. There's there's like hissing noise, and I I I always thought it was actually um, on the OPL chip, but since you guys say it's all PC speaker, since I'm only playing it in DOSBox, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. No, but 
I could have sworn I got some sound blaster sound, but I'm, it's a couple of weeks. My memory's not up to it, so I won't swear on it. I think there's more in the sequel. I think in the first game there's not a lot, but in the sequel there's slight. But it's all really minimal anyway. It's all yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And the music it is a text yeah. adventure, exactly. After all, exactly. I kind of like the music, but I also feel it doesn't fit the game in a way. It's like mm-hmm. it's just playing in the background, and yeah, it's not. Yeah. It felt a bit odd. I mean, it's felt a bit too texty at some times. You'd have all these cutscenes in the sequel, and like, then it'd just sort of go to text describing some sort of apocalyptic event or whatever. It just seemed a bit odd in like a game with VGA graphics. You think you'd sort of chuck an extra couple of floppies in the box and have some proper cutscenes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess the, the production value isn't. Yeah, considering it's ninety three it, and all that, so. mm. still floppies are expensive. So. Yeah, and sadly, there's no speech, um, which also, of course, has to do with the fact that it was released on floppy disk. Uh, they could have gone for a CD ROM. I think the second game was actually released on CD ROM, although I'm not sure how much use they they got out of the extra storage space. But none of these games have speech, do they? It's Neither the first nor the sequel. Yeah, maybe it's just too much text. I I can sort of see that it's just too much, but I don't know. It's still a bit oh, well, of a shame. You wouldn't read the entire text, right? You would only read dialogue. Yeah. And in the first game, it's not really dialogue, right? Yeah. So it's passive speech most of the time. Yeah, there's only a couple situations really where there's actual longer dialogue in the first game, like the... Uh, flight trainings, the meetings at the bars, and then the rest of it is, well, some of the chance meetings on Gateway Station, and then the whole one planet when you go off to do the shield generators. There'd, there'd be enough text to probably f- that it wouldn't fit on a CD, yeah. at, at least as Red Book. Yeah, well, and and voice actors are not exactly cheap either, I guess. Exactly, yeah. Well, they could have gotten second-rate ones. Like they did with Loom. <laughs> oh, just get, get just get the developer. Yeah. Well, they got proper actors for Loom, and they, just, they sort of got the developers to do them for a lot of games, didn't they? In that era, totally. so that's like the worst, <laughs> worst possible. Just get anyone in the office yeah. who happens to walk by. But I, I guess they also didn't expect to be making lots and lots of money on that game. Mm. I mean, no, well, they, they knew they knew their genre was on the way out. Yeah. I think they were hoping for a sort of a revival sort of thing, but or or at least to get the the hardcore fans to buy it. But uh, I don't know. But yeah, all in all, I mean, for a text game, the graphics and the music are really impressive, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> well, the, I think the graphics are actually impressive. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think it looks yeah, really yeah. good. The music is is there. Yeah, it, it's not not distracting. It's no. not annoying. It's fine. It's not great. It's fine. Um, so, yeah, I have a list here with saying there was a sequel, but we already told, like, we talked about the sequel a lot, right? So, obviously, it was a sequel. But what's kind of interesting is that in 1996, they released this game for free on their website, which doesn't sound as revolutionary now as it did back then because in 1996 the internet was still sort of new for a lot of people and distributing games 
by downloading them through a web page. That definitely was not a normal thing publishers were doing. So And the game wasn't old. Not by that the standards old of the time. No, not that old. So this is more remarkable, I think, than than you would think now. If you if you just read this in passing, oh yeah, they put it on their website. Okay. But actually in ninety six to put a whole game on a website? That's yeah. I'm thinking that would have been quite a big download. I'm thinking about that. Yeah, for sure. They split it into three. I'm just three wa- wondering files. the same. Is that okay if you had three three times one point four megabyte disks, and then you had a twenty eight k modem? Mm. Oh boy! Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna be there for a moment. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, but like um, all the shareware, like um, Doom was also released on on BBS and stuff like that. So sure, sure, but. To, to, okay, at full speed, it would only take you about five minutes. Not but bad. Still, I remember downloading Half Life quite a lot of time. for half days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't think it was the norm to release full games through the internet. Just, I mean, sure, there was some shareware, but this is a full release in '96. That's quite remarkable, really. So um, I wonder what their motivation was. Or you know, they're trying to sell Gateway Two copies, but it's mm. you know already three years after it's released. But yeah, also yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the idea was. Maybe it was to raise awareness for Star Control Three, also, just to get some people to their site and then hopefully have them check out other things they were doing. But yeah, um, sadly, the game is. Well, the website is gone now because they went out of business in 2004. But the the Internet Archive still has the page, um, well, backed up. So, yeah, you can visit it through the Wayback Machine. And then you can still find the page and download the files. So, yeah, it's still there in a way, which is kind of cool. Um, there's a, there's a, an item here about the novels, Florian. Yeah, I think we already talked quite a bit about them. Mm. Okay. That's so, um, well, I, I can't really talk about all the novels because I've only read the first one so far. Um, well, none of the Assassin's stuff exists in the novels, so it's an entirely different topic altogether. The main character is entirely different. Like, in the novels, he doesn't want to go out prospecting. He gets to Gateway and wants to become rich, but once he's there, he chickens out and <laughs> doesn't basically just sits on Gateway for a year <laughs> doing nothing. <laughs> Which is possible in the game, I guess. <laughs> yeah, true. But, I mean, it's it's entirely different from your experience as a player, I guess. When I got onto Gateway in the game, I wanted to go out prospecting, finding stuff, finding Hitchi. Mm. So, but also my, my, my life wasn't really on the line, I guess. So. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Do you recommend the book, Florian? Well, uh, I liked it. It's um, as I said earlier. It's 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 an easy read if if English is not your first language. But also, it's it's sort of hard science fiction, not too hard. Like it bends the rules here and there, especially with um, the Hichi drives going uh, faster than light and stuff like that. But all in all, I enjoyed it. So cool. Uh, looking forward to reading it myself. Yeah. Well, there's there's a lot of lot of sex, a lot of swearing. Um, cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's not explicit sex. It's only described. Great thing as, for ju- young adults. <laughs> it's 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 only said then, and now they were going on this trip, 
like with one of the CG ships for half a year and well, what are you doing? Mm, right. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, the, the thing that I read, I, I mean, I have not read the novels, but I've read about the novels. And the thing I got is that they're way, way more gritty than the game is. Oh, yeah, it's, 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 I, I think that's a good way to put it. The game is kind of, well, the game is actually pretty nice, I would say. Like, you can yeah. find some more gritty, darker stuff, but you have to go dig for it. You have to yeah. read the news and, and yeah, really. Yeah, the half of the book is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, half of the book is about um, how the main character is sitting at his shrink and trying to find out why why his, his, his emotions are out of control entirely. And Well, at the end of the book, I mean, they find out why, and that's basically the... Um, the cliffhanger for the second book. Right. So it's a, it's a big reveal at the end. And mm. like, they also describe all the time why, uh, how, how bad the situation for humankind is and how terrible it is, how, how many people die of, of what kind of um, diseases they die because they are in those, those food mines as they call them. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's pretty grim. Yeah. The game is more lighthearted. I feel it's more yeah. optimistic. Uh, Although, yeah. Oh, the game is also, the, the book is also very graphic about um, those prospectors that come back but don't quite get to enjoy the stuff they found because they're dead. Mm. There are very, very, very graphic scenes mm. in there. Right. Yeah. The game is a lot nicer. Well, the game does have some news feeds from Earth that paint a pretty grim mm-hmm. picture. Um, and then, you know, I, I found it amusing when the you discover the secret about the assassins and how they monitor like FTL signatures. Uh, basically the boss's response was, well, we, we, the genie's out of the bottle. We're not going to stop doing uh, FTL. So, you know, we might as well, <laughs> it's like a commentary on human nature. Like yeah. we, we're not going to stop doing this. We might as well solve the problem some other way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There's none of that in the book. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I guess they're just the games are just sort of lightly based on the setting, but it doesn't go much further than that. Just yeah, uses some elements and then tells us its own story. Right. So, how was this game received back in the day? Kind of all over the place, isn't it? I mean, I'm looking at this PC format review here, which Gives it a 73. The parser is outdated. The graphics are too small. That's not a great review, is it? It's harsh, isn't it? It's yeah. I think I think they sh- I think PCs were kind of pushing sort of forward when you better sound, better graphics at that sort of especially in the sort of early to mid nineties back then. I think it's sort of suffering from a bit of that. Mm. So it's probably what Monkey Island one or two would have been out. Fate of Atlantis yeah. maybe. Definitely, but also, of course, Wolfenstein <laughs> and more action stuff. And yeah, this game just seems a bit dated, I guess. I think if you maybe consider it as that, okay, your dad's PC that was bought five years ago, there would have been at home, fine. But if you were looking for, you know, this is PC gaming, then mm, mm. maybe not. Although, if if you look at, I looked at what uh, the Finnish Pelit magazine 
and it gave it back then and it gave it a 92. Wow. And it called it one of the best adventure games of 1992. And Gateway 2 got 88. So it, they clearly liked it and, and clearly could see why it was there and what it was doing. But uh, I think uh, one of the uh, reviews for Gateway 2 that Richard scanned in considered that Day of the Tentacle was released in 1993. Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty tough game to go up against. Yeah. But, also, but they're, they're also very different games. I mean, they were probably targeted at different people. But yeah, um, there's one review um, on, on Moby Games that doesn't even have a, a rating assigned to it. And they actually ask, yeah, uh, it's, it's, an, it's an okay game, it's, it's entertaining, and it's good, but what is it actually good for? So they say it's not, not really... There's nothing in the game that makes it feel fresh. Mm. And I think that's that's one reason why maybe the game wasn't really that well-received overall back then. But it may also be a reason why we can enjoy it much more nowadays because we don't really look for uh, anything fresh in those old games because I guess we all all know what came in the, in, in the days after that. And so... Yeah, we we can yeah. enjoy the the old old school ways of the game much Definitely. more. Definitely, and that's a good. Point. And we're technically not paying full retail price for something that has gone out of fashion four years earlier. Right. Definitely. I um I saw a post on the forums by John. Uh, I got a chuckle out of it because uh, I think you were digging through the computer gaming world archives, weren't you, John? Oh yeah, yeah. That was that was quite a rabbit hole. I, <laughs> you can get all those on like CGW Museum, and uh, wow, this really take you back. Just seeing all the pictures and advertisements from that era. And and there was there was like a full page advertisement on Gateway, which. Well, I found it kind of surprising because I read through the 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 ad. It gives away like the entire plot. Oh yeah, it's, it's like a modern movie trailer. <laughs> <laughs> so they so, did everything right. The best bits. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I we we give a spoiler warning. There's no spoiler warning in this ad. This you just start reading and then oh this is the whole story oh it I mean it mentions the assassins it mentions the Hichi, everything what you're doing with the shield generators it's it's kind of crazy yeah yeah I oh, guess well. uh, you know the marketing guys they're just gonna write whatever to hook you um, so mm. <laughs> but it would have been nice yeah. to leave a little bit more to the imagination ah uh, well still kind of fun. Still kind of interesting there were ads for this game in such big magazines and yet the game is still sort of obscure. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember seeing ads for this growing up. Like I loved getting all my computer gaming subscriptions and I loved uh, going to Best Buy or Babbage's and looking at all the boxes and I just don't remember this one. Don't know why. Hmm. Yeah, weird. Yeah. 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 I'm the same with all the, all the Legend games. I think, as a teenager at the time, I think I'd have looked at those screenshots that looked a bit like spreadsheets and just stopped <laughs> reading and flipped turned the page. <laughs> yeah, probably. It's, yeah. But yeah, they're yeah, fun, I, fun, fun to go back to now. But yeah, I didn't appreciate them at the time. No. No, which is also why they stopped making these, I guess, uh, back then. Because, yeah. The the days of text adventures were just over already. 
I think they were over pretty much even when Legend was founded. So, yeah. It was an uphill battle, I, I suppose. Um, and what's also kind of surprising is that they're not available anywhere, are they? I mean, I looked on Steam and GOG and stuff like that, but eh, it's not there. So Yeah, and on eBay, they're hard to get as well. So Yeah. So, yeah, better hold on to that copy of yours, Richard, because yeah, it's actually, well, yeah. Worth a bit, that's what I like to hear. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I guess that that freeware link on archive.org, that's that's all we have, really. And I don't know, the sequel, how how would you even obtain the sequel? I, I guess dodgy websites is, is the answer, right? I mean Yeah, at least at least semi-dodgy. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, that's un- unfortunately the only way. Uh, there the the previous catalog of Legend Games, however, has been released on Steam. Hmm. But these are, have not been. Right. Yeah. So you can buy spellcasting and um Eric the Unready and and the other one that we mentioned earlier, but Time Quest. Uh, these might be uh IP locked by the uh, current holder of the Gateway IP. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth to that because yeah, they used these existing IPs for a lot of these games, but then obviously you give away some control of what you can do with them, right? So yeah. I think there's they're a bit stuck with that, maybe. Oh well. I read that they might be making a TV show based on Gateway. Um, so maybe this will really? uh, you know renew some interest in the games. I, yeah, I think like back in 2017, somebody talked about making a TV show. Who knows if, if anything's happening? But there's there's least interest. Wow. Yeah, I would watch it. Sounds pretty cool. And with uh, Game of Thrones over. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I, I mean, yeah, uh, no guarantees, of course, that this is any good. But yeah, why not? It seems like a pretty cool setting. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. We're we're at the bottom of the document now. So is there anything that we've missed or that we still should mention about this game? Or, you know? Oh, you know what we... Uh haven't mentioned at all, is that there is also parts of the game that you cannot actually play with the keyboard. Or at least I couldn't figure out how. Whenever you enter um, your ship in the first game and you have to travel to different planets, you have to punch in one of your um, of those, those travel codes. And that's an entirely different screen. It's completely um, an entire graphics screen dedicated to that. And mm. actually, I, I could only figure out how to do that with the mouse. Well, it, uh, I didn't test it in Gateway 1, but in Gateway 2, you could just enter the Heechee numbers. Mm. So you could use just the, the correct numbers to enter the code. So if you knew what numbers well, meant if. what, you could just <laughs> enter the code. That's a big if. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I, I, I went through, the, and then it does it one digit at a time. So if you do the first digit, you get that wrong. You have to go. You have to go through the second, third, and fourth digit, and then go back to the first digit to fix that. Yeah, and... But but if you're using the mouse, you can just you get a list of all the codes that are stored on your batch. They say, so yeah. and you can just, but you can in, just in gateway it. in gateway two when you want to return to Earth, then you have to actually find the code or or you can type it in. Mm. So so uh, 
in that case, what I did is I fit, tried to figure out which ones were the numbers. And because you could see a, like a rising pattern in the way that, that the numbers are designed, you could easily tell that, okay, this should be number seven or eight. And then you could quickly ch- check it out and, and see which one it was. Mm-hmm. So you could, e- you could get it in as soon as you sort of understood how the number system worked. Okay. Um, did any of you guys find any Easter egg planets? Because in, in the first game, it gives you a list of codes, but actually you're free to enter whatever code you want, right? So did anyone try their own codes? I was too scared to. <laughs> ah, that's <laughs> me too. <laughs> By the way, that, that's an, that's another another difference um, from the novels. There, the ships would only accept certain codes that are actually going somewhere. Huh. I think you can get an enter pretty much. That, any I think code that was a story game. question. I think I misentered a code in Gateway Two into the big big uh, uh, ship, and that just took me somewhere which wasn't Earth. Yeah. It's like you yeah, are not exactly. supposed to be here. All right. All right. Yeah. I got it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm sure there must be some hidden locations you can access this way, but I didn't find any. So Well there there would be some if you could trust devs to do something like that. Yeah. It seems it seems to me there must be something there, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe uh I think I think maybe it's just worth to do an internet search and see if there's anything like a secret location you can visit. Certainly the game is well-researched, as you found out when you were looking for a video. Well, there's not <laughs> a video. Oh, there's a video about it now, but yeah. Oh, well. So, yeah, I guess that concludes it then. Um, well, the, the, the classic question is, did it hold up? It, in my opinion, the game probably holds up better now than it did back then, and I enjoyed it a lot. I didn't expect it; uh, didn't expect to enjoy it that much. But uh, I really got into it. I played through both games in like six or seven days, uh, six or seven afternoons. Then I bought the, the the novels. So I think it's it's an, a fascinating universe. It's a fun game. It's easy to to get into. It's very accessible. It looks looks good. So. I totally recommend it. If you have any interest in getting into text adventures, I'd say start with Gateway. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, I loved it. It's I played an awful lot of points and clicks, and it seems like a text interface. This gives you a bit more... You have to put a bit more thought into solving the puzzles. You can't just sort of brute force things. You have to sort of think things through. It gives a, this gives more options for the gameplay. Mm-hmm. As, as Definitely. It's not a game I'd have played at the time, but it kind of made me want to play more text adventures when I'd finished it. So it's be quite cool. a good. It would be a good way of getting into text adventures. So I, I, it's like uh, it's like got point and click sensibilities, but with a text interface. I think so. It's it's very accessible. Yeah, definitely. So you still need to um, bring enough patience for a text-based game. So there's still a lot of reading involved and. Obviously. That's that's maybe that's not for everyone. Sure. Yeah, I think I think considering uh twenty odd years later, oh, it's probably closer to yeah, thirty odd years later. Oh now. my god. <laughs> yeah. Feel old. Yes, thank you very much. Uh is that now with being older, 
wiser, and also being able to type much faster <laughs> than back then helps this game immensely. Mm. And that that's probably the reason why I agree, especially with Florian, is that back in the day, I mean, if I was around 30 years old and very fluent with computers back in 1992, I would have had a fun time with this game. No problem. Giving this 30-something now... Uh, being fluent with computers and, and knowledgeable about a lot of a lot of things, definitely enjoyed the first game. And I just ran straight into the second game. I think after Florian sort of mentioned, I want to do the second game. Is anybody else going to do it? So like, all right, <laughs> I'll yeah. do it. I'll I'll take a plunge and and I'll and I'll get through the second game as well. And it's a lot more enjoyable than being presented with the uh first parser interface for Colossal Cave or uh, Zork or anything else. Just go for Another it. Another thing that probably helped is that we actually played it in the club and we all played it more mm-hmm. or less at the same time. We all started at the beginning of um, June, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was, was really fun to talk to people about parts of the game. I'm not so sure if, if this is a game that you want to play all on your own. Mm, so maybe. I guess find a buddy to play it with. Even if you're just just playing at the same time, and like I remember, um, we had this this little race going on that I uh, very much lost in the end. Oh. <laughs> but I, I, I just I was surprised how fast Esco ran through the game. I mean, yeah. you just you just start the game and like an hour later, oh yeah, I'm done. Like, what <laughs> what what? I've, I, I haven't even left left the planet. Why did you? How did you? What what is going on? It took me an hour to do the replay of Gateway Two. So. Even skipping out a lot of the text and a lot of everything else and typing everything in and knowing what you're exactly doing, it took a while. Mm, yeah. So, so even this is this is the kind of game is that you sit down and, and you spend a good afternoon with and then you pick up the next afternoon or then you end up playing through the night if you're really that kind of person. But it does sort of help that if you really want to use it, the hint book exists. Mm. Yeah, I'm still tempted to go back into Gateway One and figure out where did that ten points go. <laughs> I still have no idea. Yeah. Make sure you shake Rolf Becker's hand. That's, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> yeah, but I do think you you benefited from the from the club structure as well, John. I mean, I, I, there was a thread right where we were like posting progress and stuff like that. Oh yeah, um, I. Yeah, I had a great time uh, playing and posting. Uh, it took me a while to get through the game, um, mainly because I just played in very limited sessions. But uh, I always was looking forward to jumping back in and, and making progress. And I'm, I'm really glad I found it through the club. I would have never heard of it before if you guys hadn't picked it as your game of the month. And um, i glad I found it as an adult, I think. When I was a kid, you know, I was more interested in playing Space Quest and seeing how many ways I could blow up Roger Wilco. But, uh, you know, I would have probably lost patience with a game like this. So, I'm, um, I'm, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. It was much better than I expected. Yeah. I wouldn't even have had a chance to play it in 92 because that was when I had minus three years of English experience. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is one of those games where being a native English speaker really helps, doesn't it? It's uh, even though it's not the hardest text adventure by any stretch, but still, it's yeah, 
it's a really tall order for a kid who doesn't really grasp the basics of the language very well. I'm I'm not sure if any of these text adventures made by legend were really meant for anybody under 15. Mm, yeah. Yeah. True. The, the subject is also very serious. So so if you're over 15 and you're listening, <laughs> play this. <laughs> and otherwise, go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I think that wraps it up. Uh yeah, Gateway, it's a cool game. If you're interested in text adventures, check it out. Uh, or yeah. just curious. If you're just curious, this one mm. may be the game Definitely. to start with. Cool. Okay, uh, that's Gateway. Um, there's more going on in terms of DOS games, right? Uh, because it's we're recording this mid-July. Um, the episode probably won't be out in July still, but we are playing no. uh, Jill of the... It's well, certainly... Certainly won't be out because we just said we actually we're trying to um, get a regular schedule now and get the new episode out uh, exactly on the first mm. of the month after the month following the game. So the plan is to get this one out on August first. We'll see how that works out, but certainly exactly. not in July. But uh, we will have played Jill of the Jungle in July, which is a really cool uh, right. platformer about Jill in a wow. jungle. Some, some people say it's cool. Other people say I wouldn't it's call it really cool, but it's, it's a platformer. It's a platformer for it's, us. It features yeah, Jill and exactly. the jungle, and it looks well. It has its look, <laughs> and it plays well. It has its <laughs> gameplay, and well, it's 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 a game. <laughs> yeah, I think we can we can agree on the yeah, fact, that we'll it is talk a game. all about it in the next episode. So exactly. Uh, and wh- while we'll be talking about Jill, this will be the month when we will be playing an, uh, a real-time strategy game, for which we hadn't mm-hmm. for quite a while now. So we're going to play Zed, which is one of the more obscure and, and very different from other RTS mm-hmm. games. Yeah. RTS. So looking forward to that one. Definitely. It won the poll, right? Yeah. There was a poll on Twitter. But to be fair, we only put two games there. I think it was... KKND yeah. and Z. And Z won by, I think, like two thirds. Yeah. Or something so like that. interesting. I, I, you know, I remember looking at the Z box in the store and I, I must have held it in my hands like 10 times and never actually bought it <laughs> and thus never actually played it. So no idea, huh. but it's, it's intriguing for me. So that's cool. And do you guys think we'll get any multiplayer games going for Z? We'll try for sure. Well, we, we usually, we usually try. Sometimes it doesn't work out, but yeah, just stick around. Yeah, and we'll find out. I mean, in the end, you can also just organize something. Okay, definitely open a thread on the forums and and see what happens. Yeah, so, cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's cool that you're here, Richard, because uh, we're playing Wing Commander in September. I think it was your suggestion. Yeah, it was. It's the thirtieth anniversary of it being released in September, so. It's one of one of my favorite games ever, Wing Commander, the whole series, really. So I'm hoping everyone will like it as much as I do, but we'll we shall see. Yeah, really cool. Looking forward to that. Uh, hoping you'll be back also then to discuss the game with us because well we'll we'll need an expert to guide yeah. us. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm pl- I'm planning on a wingathon in September. I'm going to see how many of the games I can get through in one month. So, awesome. There's, there's plenty to be going at. So. 
Yeah, maybe I'll have to look for a joystick or something for this. It's uh, I don't de- yeah yeah it's def- definitely my preferred way of playing the game. It's it's one of these. Well, it's the game. I've I've got a joystick with every PC I've had since mm. it go and it goes all the way back to Wing Commander. It's cool. One of these games that's not so easy to control with the mouse. Uh, mm. Yeah, if you've got a cheap joystick lying around, definitely. Yeah. I'll have a go. Maybe I can get my PlayStation controller to work. And otherwise, I don't know. Maybe I'll just have to buy uh, something. Something. Well, we'll we'll figure something out. So, yeah, that's what's going on the coming months. Uh, If this DOS gaming stuff interests you, you can join us over on dosgameclub.com, which is our website where we post all the episodes. And we also have forums where we discuss the games that we're playing uh also there's a suggestion forum where you can enter new games and then when deciding what games we'll do in the future that's where we uh take our inspiration from we try to mix it up a bit don't we florian i well, mean yeah we <laughs> just discussed that the other day um, yeah. usually you're the one who says hey let's look up the suggestion forum and i'm like hey what you know i always wanted to play that game and you're like no let's see what other people have suggested mm. <laughs> like yeah okay you're right you're the boss <laughs> yeah but also we 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 try to think of like we don't want to play five games from yeah. 93 in a row and we or also five five first person shooters in a row exactly like and the same developers and stuff so we try to mix it up and also mix obscure games with more blockbuster things so yeah, we're trying to take all these things into account. But if you have a cool suggestion, then definitely post it on our website, and we'll we might get around to it, and we might even invite you to the show. So uh, you can also yeah, invite yourself, actually. Well, totally. And if you just post on the forums, then then or or hang out in our IRC. We have an IRC room on Afternet called uh, Dos Game Club as well. So you can chat with us there, and there's usually some people hanging around. So that's fun. Usually, uh, I think there have been people in this chat room since the first day, and it was never empty. So Exactly. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter, if you're a Twitter person, uh, where we're also called Dos Game Club. And yeah, we just post the episodes and maybe have a poll or other, I don't know, interesting Dos stuff. Sometimes we post, like uh, when Gog gives games away for free, stuff like that. So yeah, it's just one way of keeping up in the... Uh, Events of the exciting world of DOS. <laughs> yeah, though, I, I think we're, we're not a news outlet, so other no, people no. other people are way way better suited for that. Sure, sure, sure. Um, you can also send in a voice message. By the way, we are accepting voice messages uh, through email. You can send them to club at dosgameclub.com, and we always love to receive those. And if we get one, we'll play it. So, yeah, that's that's another way to interact with us and be on the show. And last but not least, if you're listening to this in a podcasting app, then we really appreciate it if you leave a review, uh, maybe type a little thingy or just press the five star, whatever it's called in your app. Uh, So the the show gets promoted to other people. And that's, yeah, just a way to spread the word and, and help us reach more DOS fans, I guess. So... Yeah, that's the whole that's the whole thing. Um, thanks for listening, and thank you guys for discussing this game with us. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yep, thank you. And uh, we'll we'll talk again later, right? Right. right. So uh, yep. see you see you all in the future. Bye. 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 Bye.
Just, just, just.